welcome back to This Is Hardcore Podcast. We brought back MH Chaos, Hammer Up Chaos. If you haven't checked out some of the oldest tracks on the podcast, go back there. You'll hear this song open up some of the first podcasts I did. I didn't have any music. I still don't have music. And my fascination, love, and my support for MH Chaos had grown to the point where I just wanted to put them out there. People check out. We got a lot of big things in store for this band. They're from Chicago. And with the Rule of Three podcast coming out this week and have me having scheduled music for other guests, I just felt like throwing it back to MH. Big things coming. We'll be announcing soon, guys. Can't wait to have you out here. For those of you who are asking, what are we going to do with Rule of Three? Well, this will be the last time that Rule of Three ends up in the This Is Hardcore feed. And it's also running concurrently in the Broad Street Breakdown feed with G and Pablo doing their own intro like this. So make sure to check out the Broad Street Breakdown to get their touch and vibe on their intro on this. But going forward, the Rule of Three podcast is going to have its own host and its own feed. And we'll be pushing it out that way. So this is the last time you're going to hear a Rule of Three directly from the This Is Hardcore podcast. But I'll be promoting it as such. So you should still be able to check it out. It just won't appear in this feed. So you'll have to subscribe or whatever you do to stay up with the Rule of Three, Johns, because they come out. Now, I'm... Not someone who really likes to engage in modern politics or the modern goings-on with a lot of my shows. And I think that's pretty evident with damn near 40 of them so far. And without the rule of three, maybe a handful of real quick moments where we talked a little bit about COVID with some guests for like less than five minutes. I've been pretty open about this not wanting to A, date the content to a specific thing and also wanting to keep the stories relative so someone could go back four and five years later and check something out and not feel like the conversation had much dating. Plus, I'm also not interested in consistently talking about the things that we all have around us. And I know that at times as an avid podcast listener, I just would start skipping shit out of it. Like, you know, and even some of the, you know, my favorite podcasts as they go more and more into the same shit every day. It's like, I listen to this shit to escape. And so I hadn't really touched on anything about how I feel in a lot of ways, but with Richie and G it's easy to have these kind of conversations. And with a lot of the things that were going on that we all were observing and, Richie and I were involved in, and G's perspective, I feel like this is a good representation of where I sit and where the boys sit, and I'm glad that we got to pull this together. And you hear us talk about a format, and yet going forward, the Rule of Three podcast was going to come out at least once a month, and there will be some form of actual format. We'll cover some music. We'll cover some social media stuff going on, and we're going to cover some politics. This may not be what you want, and hey, man, no disrespect to me if you're not feeling here in our takes. It is what it is, 
But for those of you that jived off of the last episode, I hope you enjoy this one. And we kind of have at least a running idea of what we're going to do with the Rule of Three. I'm happy we're doing another one. Please support us as it moves forward. And let's fucking get it, boys. Welcome back to another edition of Rule of Three. I am Joe Hardcore. This is the OG and Richie Crutch. Say what's up, fellas. Hello. Going forward, we kind of wanted to put a little format in front of our conversations. But the kind of Venn diagram where a lot of our mindsets are headed are kind of all in that center of that Venn diagram between music, politics, and social media. So you won't see a clean-cut format today because we feel like it's all going to be covered in the majority body of this conversation. And, uh, Joe, you know the deal. Like, yeah, we did. We, we kind of we, – we didn't put too much effort, but we briefly talked about a certain format for this show, uh, you know, when we do get together because it's a fun thing. But considering all the stuff going on and the routes we briefly talked about, yeah, the, the, the stuff in the last few weeks covers all those details. So we could just talk about current events, I'd say, right? Absolutely. Like when you were in grade school and you had to clip out a newspaper thing. <laughs> oh, new, new gorilla at the zoo or whatever. You know what I mean? Did any of you guys go to Catholic school? CCD. Yeah, CCD. That's it. That's it. That's right. We talked about that. That's right. Straight heathens. Oof. You know, it's uh, it it seems like Catholic school is like a, a great alternative to a lot of people, though. You notice that? Is that a Philly thing? Like, it's, uh, a, it's it's the one the one thing about Catholic school is that if you walk out of there, at least in the late eighties and the mid nineties, you had impeccable penmanship. Duh, for the, real. The discipline was real. Like there was no throwing fucking chairs and people with knives. Like the, the, the Catholic school ideology was like going to that school, your kid's going to get a better education, but they're, they were behind in math and science. And I knew this because I tested mentally gifted at an early age between the uh, grade of third and four. And so by the time I was in seventh grade, the people that I was friends with that were heading towards Catholic school or already in it through grade school they hadn't even learned free algebra, and I was already on Algebra 1 in 7th grade because of MGP. So Catholic school did a lot as far as the meat and potatoes education, whilst really getting people not only – I'll be positive and not say like indoctrinated, but in, in investing in the spirituality and giving these kind of people like a rhythm. You know, we're like my public school – you know, was pretty wild, even for for as good as it was at that time. And by the time I got to high school, it was no holes bar, metal detectors, the whole gimmick. So I I I abstained from going to Catholic school because I didn't want to cut my hair. And a lot of the dudes that went to Catholic school was were all fanooks, and I didn't even want to fuck with them. And I all my friends are public school kids for the most part. Yeah, isn't Philly like like infamous for crappy public schools, or am I wrong on that? So at one point, my MGP class, which is mentally gifted program, I mean, we were going and touching real computers at a different school, actually a crazier neighborhood too, Harding, which is like in the cut, straight like, out of right Harding, there, son. Straight out of Harding, uh, Harding Middle School was no fucking joke, and it's still in the middle of the like the straight cut in Frankfurt, but in comparison. 
at that time, we had a computer class, but we didn't have computers yet in the school. So I actually learned about Babbage's compute, computing machine. I learned how to use an abacus. And it was kind of like a precursor to computation by like a history on computers and a typing class. An and so, yeah, the abacus. Well, you and need so, a time machine to make use of that. You know, it's actually super brilliant. It's fucking crazy, but it's brilliant. So um, Philadelphia put their eggs in one basket, which was um, two separate schools. One was Masterman and the other was Central High School. And then they had a separate school was like the performing arts. And so seventh grade, you had to have good grades. And that was how you got picked to go to a good high school. Yeah, it's uh, still that way. I got to a lot of fights in seventh grade. I was the long hair. I might as well have been a pip in a domino in some of my classes. And I was in my rebellious stage. So there was no chance of me going to a good school, no matter if the mentally gifted, anything. But at one point in time in the 1980s, you we had like legit band. Um, I was an AV guy. I did a little a little music, but I went more AV, like plug in the microphones for the assemblies and that kind of stuff. And they had a whole program. And by the time my eldest daughter was in high school, or actually just in middle school, they truncated so many of the programs. And it's a shame. Like we were taught Latin. Uh, Dickie Knowles came from Dare, the fucking weird junkie drug Philly Phillies dude. Like it, I, I was kind of like the last bastion, I would say, of like the time when money was put in the Philadelphia <coughs> public education. And so, yeah, a lot of people who had the means and a lot of these people were two parent families. So they were able to get their kids into a high school that was Catholic. And I just that like, you know, the kids say. Ain't gonna be me. I don't know who it is. Ain't gonna be me. I ain't gonna count school. Yeah, I always see that when it comes to Philly. Like the thing is, a lot of people I know didn't go to public schools and went to Catholic schools. You know, all types of religions. So I just thought that was the thing. Yeah, it's it's still um, kind of like that because my kids. Um, so when my oldest was going to even. Um, grade school going into kindergarten we had to kind of um because the neighborhood school sucked so we had to kind of suss around and see where we could send him and we ended up um getting on a lottery and got chosen and once he got chosen for his um grade school which is which is uh grade at, uh, grade school and middle school so it goes up to eighth grade um, once he got in, then and his brother and sister both got in automatically. And then the high school process is, is very similar to college at this point. You kind of, what Joe said about seventh grade, seventh grade is key and how well you do in seventh grade. And then eighth grade, most of that year is based around choosing the high school you're going to go to. And you go to like interviews and it's fucking crazy, man. Wow. Yeah, yo, yo, man, OG, were you any good in school or not? Me? Yeah. No. 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 I. I. I, I I'm just asking because Joe was bragging, you know, to try to make us feel. <laughs> Yo, Chew, Joe, I'm say this right now. I I was on the like that uh that razor edge of probably either getting put home, and I, and they tested me, and I've always known that I was highly functioning anxiety, but reading, writing, all that stuff came easy. 
and it kind of gave me the opportunity to get exposed to stuff. But I, I'm not really the kind of human because of the anxiety to ever really fit into a school format. It never really worked for me. Yeah. I was always better in my own self learning. School sucked. So bad. I it was like torture. It, yeah, it was. In twelfth grade, my um, vice principal guy. Like, I guess each grade had their own principal dude. You know, disciplinary guy. He called me and my father in, and he the quote was, <laughs> "I think it'd be best for everyone if you just stop coming." <laughs> so, I was like, <laughs> so I was like, "All right, bet." Like I was all about it, you know. Yeah, that was like that's probably music to your ears. Yeah, man. Maybe was, not your dad though. He's probably pissed. Uh, my dad was always real supportive, man. Uh, uh, you know, even with that kind of bullshit, I got caught. <laughs> so this is a stupid story. So I got caught smoking in school in. Uh, probably 10th grade, let's say, you know, this is back in the day when like every degenerate in between class would run to whatever bathroom they thought was cool. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. there'd be 50 motherfuckers in there smoking, (laughs) smoking 12 cigarettes in the two minutes you have between two classes, you know? And, uh, I got caught and calls my father in and we're sitting there and he takes the pack of cigarettes because they they took the cigarettes off me and he takes the pack of cigarettes and he puts it in front of us on the thing and he's like so this is what i caught your son with and my dad turned to me and he's like are these yours and i'm like yeah and he picks them up and puts them in my lap he's like here wow (laughs) so not oh geez pop is a real one yeah man not that he um you know not that he was super happy about that I was smoking or whatever, yeah, but just like, like take your shit, but though. yeah, like fuck you, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was pretty wow. funny. Yeah, man, I still remember That's that cool. shit like it was yesterday. Is that yeah, still my a fa- thing? Smoking in a boys' room? Is that still a thing? No, huh? no. <laughs> no, but they smoke weed in the in the. They try and smoke weed in the bathroom. Oh shit! That's what that's what Xavier had told me when he was in high school. Because I actually asked him that once. I was like, "Do any kids even smoke anymore?" And he's like, "Nah," but they try and do like, um, you know, like the I guess the vape pens with the weed or whatever the fuck they do. You know? Yeah, the wax John. Yeah, so that's the, I guess that's the new smoking in school. How are kids now? Do we used to blow up the toilets with like M80s and flush them down? Like, is this still going on or is this a lost art? My kids are my kids are good, man. I I don't know. Like, but did it tell had... you like what the maniac of the school is doing? Is did they got like no, one? I remember. Well, I remember when, um, I think it was Xavier was in like seventh or eighth grade, and two kids got into a fight in his class, and it was like a huge fucking deal for them, huge. <laughs> and I was like. Motherfuckers used to be fighting every fucking in between every class when I was in school. Like it was, it was like such a such an ordinary occurrence that it was no, you didn't even think about it. Yo, I was but, telling somebody that like when I was young, if there was a day that went by without a fight at school or without a fight with you on the street or you going yeah. to the mall and somebody, I it would be rare if there wasn't a fight that day. Like it was just every kid was geared to get into a scuffle it seemed back then it seemed that way you know it definitely seemed that way when i was in high school and middle even middle school not so much grade school but definitely middle school high school and um i don't know man my like my kids you know i i guess these the kids now they're they're wrapped up in whatever they do online and video games and that kind of stuff so it's a little bit more 
it's less uh, I wouldn't say less social because it is social, but in a different way than that we experienced. Mm. It's more, you know, online shit. Whereas if we wanted to hang out with somebody, we'd have to meet them at the seven 11 or whatever, you know, and (laughs) (laughs) that for them, all they got to do is push a button and they could talk to whoever the fuck they want. So I guess there's, you know, I guess it's pros and cons to both. I mean, we did that tonight, you know what I mean? So I do see the pros in that as well. Yeah. Um, but it's I, it's. I remember it's just for definitely... me in high school there was a place called Starners, right? It was like a gas station deli place, sure. right? Sure, yeah. And I would, with a couple key guys, stand in front of this place all day <laughs> and yeah. all night. Yeah. And sometimes people would drive by that I knew and we'd jump in with them. Yeah. Or the next day we'd find out that we missed something because mm. we, there was no way to communicate. There was a payphone at Starners. Sometimes it would ring. Sometimes we'd make some calls, but we would just hope to to catch something and see what's going on. Like, yeah, the, it now forget it. You're not missing anything. You don't have to miss anything now. So that is a right. good thing. Yeah, we we used to have spots. You know, every couple of years the spot would change. So it was like, at first in middle school into early high school, it was behind this abandoned movie theater that that wasn't operational anymore. But it was just like it was near trolley tracks. You know what I mean? So you yeah. just fucking hung back there. And then it moved to the Seven Eleven. So we would hang out the Seven Eleven and it'd be like, "What are you doing tonight?" I don't know. Well, all right, I'll, we're going to Seven see who's there. You know what I mean? And then you right. you don't even know who you're doing shit with, but there's and some true fucking or heads false, at the... for both of you. Yeah. Would not half the time would it be like, "Yo, what's going on tonight?" Oh, so and so is gonna fight so and so. Was this was something that was so like we looked forward to these things all the time, like who was gonna fight who and where. That we had an abandoned bridge and like an old uh, place called Devil's Hole, but the, the Nazi skinheads <laughs> called it White Man's Pass. And <laughs> Everybody else called the devil's hole. For that, John. <laughs> and that's where the fights would happen. But the same thing, right? Yeah, it was. Um, well, that that started happening. Um, I guess in later high school, like the the last couple years of high school. Um, there was a you know. So I went to high school in Upper Darby, and um, so I went from eighty. 80- 86 to 90 and by 88 89 there was a big nazi presence out there i don't know why but there definitely was and there was all kinds of shit that went on man there was always like this one's doing this and saying this and this one's gonna fuck this one up and i remember that shit <laughs> and it's like fuck man i look back on that now and i'm Man, that's a lot of stress, man. <laughs> like, <It's> all one. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like fuck. You know what I think the big Nazi shit was back then? Mm. I think there was just a lot of kids that wanted to be in a gang. Oh, and, absolutely. And, and that gang came through, and they just swallowed up a bunch of kids because there wasn't many other options for a little while. Because yeah, I remember I th- the the ones by me who were became white power Nazis. Mm-hmm. A year prior to that, they were wearing L.A. Kings gear. Right. They were wearing like the uh, the Raiders gear. They were like in love with Easy E, but that sort of element never passed through in time. And then they got wrapped up in that other shit. I think it's um, kids at that age, you know, that that mid teenage age, they want to belong to something, and it really depends on which 
knucklehead friends you're hanging out with at the time when you're most vulnerable. So one of your dumb friends says, yeah, this is what we're into. It's like, okay, this is what we're into. And all of a sudden you got 10 fucking goofs who are yep. pretending to be Nazis. They don't even know what the word means. You know what I so, mean? <laughs> so where, where we hung out was Bridge and Pratt. And yes. Bridge and Pratt is like two parallel streets to mark the end of the L station. And I lived on one side of the tracks, and my friends, that would be really like the core of the like, when you're when you're not ten years old anymore, and you got free reign to do what you need to do. And I was the youngest in that group, and because we were mostly associated with heavy metal, one of the places that we would go would be the you know Roosevelt Mall, which is like Bustleton and Frankfurt, and they had this arcade called Champions. And that's where the headbangers hung out. And there was a group in the headbangers called Grim. And they hung out in this part, uh, part of Penny Pack. And we went down there one time. And mind you, the oldest one of us couldn't have been more than 14 or 15. And I was the youngest of them all. And we had already hoofed it from Bridge and Pratt to the Northeast. Then we had to go all the way to this park. And I only been in the park fishing with my pop and my uncle one or two times. So like I was like, I thought I was in Lord of the Rings. I'm like, this is crazy. It's nighttime. And not the white man's past, but they had, like, bridges they would all hang out in. And, like, swastikas and all this crazy shit. And to me, it almost felt like a Lost Boys thing. There was, like, a fire, you know, like. And these dudes were all in. And at that time, the cell block was, like, a little bit outside the Philadelphia city line. And that's where a lot of the Sunday matinee death metal shows and I was allowed to go to. So my first exposure in the non-rock concert with my mom or, you know, whatever boyfriend she had at the time was going up to these smaller shows and seeing all these white power dudes. But they didn't want nothing to do with it. We're like little kids. And so, like, we never got the recruitment drive thrown at us. But we were well aware of all the white power shit. And it just happened to be not too long after my first hardcore show. And Biohazard's ready to fight all of the Nazis that were there for biohazard and sick of it all. And I was blown away because I only seen these dudes act tough at cell block shows. Mm. And so that kind of put any kind of kibosh on like what team I was going to be on because I already loved, you know, like the biohazard thing was on um, headbangers ball. Like I was like enamored by that one. Like, well, they don't like Nazis and fuck this. But there was that one minute where, you know, if the right dudes would have probably came around our crew it might have went the other way because where you guys are talking about like where the fights were and the hanging out, we were the outliers, man. Like we we lived in a almost completely black and Puerto Rican neighborhood at that time. And so we were hanging in a cemetery to not be able to be near where like everyone's at. Like you guys brought up seven eleven. You went to my seven eleven around the corner and that was to get punched in the face if you if you were better than the person playing a Street Fighter two. There was always fights over Street Fighter 2. <laughs> Every corner had its own little graffiti gang. Like the group that we started having problems with that were friends of ours at the time was called GBC, Get Blunt Crew. And Yo. they were the first all crazy. And a couple times there were some scraps. And a couple, like one time they hit my friend Rich in the face with a bottle. But um, once um, like a family friend who we called a cousin he was stabbed to death outside that 7-Eleven in a fight with my other cousin who's now dead too. 
I really mentally couldn't hang around that 7-Eleven. So, like, I was not fucking anywhere near, like, the popular people. And, like, I went to school, and I kept it moving. Besides soccer, like, I didn't talk to girls or anything like that. So, like, it was, like, headbanger world. So, I, I, when we when we start interacting with these, like, long hairs, we thought we were in the club. Then we're in, like, some weird wizard's road <laughs> in the fucking petty <laughs> bag. And it was bizarre. It was, like, when some shit, like... I'm like 12, 13 years old walking into like, with all these dudes that are talking some like Lord of the Rings fantasy Nazi nonsense. And it was through hardcore that kind of like cemented like, okay, this is a side that I can, I can really get down on because hanging at, hanging at the arcade all night and then going walking, any the walk would have killed me. Even just walking through the park at night was like, nah, man, fuck this. I was too like used to the city for that. <laughs> so... Yeah, the white I, I just like that you were hanging in the cemetery. That's so dope. Bro. Yeah, right there. Um, there's four cemeteries. Like there's four cemeteries at the cross section of Bridge, or not Bridge, at Frankfurt and uh, Sheltonham. And so we came up with a game in the one cemetery that was called Whomping, where we would throw shit at any car that would come by and hope they would chase us into the cemetery. And then we would hide in the trees, or and no one could catch us. The cops would come in, we'd laugh at them. Then the other thing we would do. <laughs> The other thing we would do is after rainstorms, there would be these tree branches, and the '66 train at the uh, the bus at the time rode on the rode off an electric line with two uh, cables that were attached. So we would throw these big train uh, tree branches down from the high wall in the other the big cemetery, just to get the bus to stop, so the bus doer would get out and get pissed off. <laughs> and then, aside from that, we would steal fire extinguishers from septa buses at the depot down there at Bustleton and literally just spray people walking by. And the whole point was like, we couldn't hang in the parks because they were selling crack. That's where like the real hood shit was going down. Uh, we would play like every game in there. Like there was a little open area in the daytime. We might play football, might play. Um, we still played like suey and stickball in the, in the streets. But what happened is, is, um, bunch of dudes were driving around at nighttime as the neighborhood got worse looking for young men to pick up so we started smashing their windows out and the cops kind of yelled at us for that because this one dude almost crashed into a, um a fire hydrant right there at um what the fuck was that the corner of jake mason's block one block behind frankfurt ave where the old mcdonald's was and the cops were like, we get it. These guys are coming by trying to harass you, but you can't do this shit. I mean, we were throwing bricks in their car. We would set this kid Tom up on the corner, and he would pull up to him, and then we'd fuck these guys' car up. So, like, we didn't really have a playground, so we would just fuck with people because we had nothing else to do. Young animals. We had nothing to do, and it was like the guys who I wrote with, we, got, we would play Dungeons and Dragons. We would drink a couple 40s. We would drink cough syrup and a, a, from Raid Aid and a 40 and just get fucked up in the cemetery. Might play some spring, got into role playing games, went to goth stuff, and then those dudes got in the weed, and I got in the shows, and they're still my people, but like we split in that regard, you know. You used to play Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, off the rip, my cousin Biff. I wasn't cousin, allowed near that shit. My cousin Biff, <laughs> a Vietnam War vet, whose email is Wild Bill three fifty seven, and Bill, his father was like so dominant. I think Bill and his friends got into Dungeon Dragons and they were in the heavy metal. And that was one of my uh, initial interaction points to stuff like the Misfits and Sam Hain and Black Sabbath was all those guys. And they were my mom's babysitters for us because 
I was so wild. He, he, she, he, she'd have all these weird little girls watch us, but I was like biting them and going crazy. So then she let the Dungeon Dragons dude, because <laughs> my mom would strip and then she started bartending and booking bands, but she would strip some nights and bartend and whatever just to make money because she was a single mom and in her still in her 20s. And so they, the Dungeon Dragons crew became the babysitters and they would trick me. They'd be like, let's get your character together. And for years, I couldn't even play because they would just time it just perfectly. You know, right around time I get the character, up, oh, you got to go to bed, Joe. Oh, and then, uh, once they once Headbangers Ball started being a thing, my mom had enough money for cable. I was able to stay up to watch Headbangers Ball, and that changed everything. But that was my first exposure was through Dungeons Dragons and reading and shit like that to a lot of the stuff that I still fuck with to this day. That's dope. Oh, gee, there's no way you play Dungeons and Dragons. True or false? <laughs> True. <laughs> oh, gee, not. Oh, he smoked cigs in the in the in the bathroom. He ain't doing anything else. Yeah, man. I was uh, I was uh, I I feel like I was the tail end of like um, that early eighties, late seventies, early eighties degenerate behavior. You know what I mean? That stereotype. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I could get away with anything in my house, but not Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, because you're Italian. They love. My Jesus. mom thought that was bringing in the devil, inviting yeah, the devil into the house. Yeah, man. It probably was. And a Ouija board, forget it. You try to get a Ouija board in there, you get your hand cut. No way. Well, like the, the, the one thing is, and I have the book, I'll show it to you sometime, is at one point in time, the, the, one, the one companion literally had Asmodeus and all these like actual biblical de- uh, demons that were playable like entities in the in your in your campaign and that was the that was like one of the main ammo like big piece of ammo in the satanic panic thing and gygax and them actually took it a lot of that stuff out of the game in later editions because there was some straight up satanic stuff in the sense where if you looked at it from a satanic position and i think that at that time we're talking about the PMRC. We're talking about a lot of Christian shit that was still trying to have control of youth culture. And, I mean, the Satanic Panic was in the late 70s and early 80s. But that would go on, I mean, by the time I was playing, we're talking 89, 90, 91. They started pouring all that stuff out because there was people that were very concerned about their children enough to block out the different words. And, you know, you, you guys were there for it. I went to a... Um... So my aunt on my my father's sister was a nun on my Irish side. So I had I had Catholic on both sides. I had my Italian side and my Irish side. So my father's sister was a nun, and they had a like uh, <clears throat> town hall meeting or or whatever the fuck about heavy metal. So me and my father went, and this is. I'm probably in seventh grade at the time. And they legitimately believed that the end of the world was coming and the devil was coming to your house. If your kids were into this stuff, like legitimately believed it. No, like secret hustle. No, like whatever they thought this was, this was a bad thing happening. Yeah. Is she still alive? No, she just died actually. What did she, Uh, I mean, cause your appearance is, like you, you look like a satanic cult leader, but in the coolest way. 
You can, have that vibe about you. Can, like, what does she feel about? Can I be like, the leader? Can I be the leader of Grim? Because that's the hardest fucking hardest. thing I've ever heard of my life. <laughs> Shale hard Grim. Like I do feel you, like we gotta start that shit up again. Does she have any issues with the, the, the tattoos? No, she was actually of all my um, so. At a pretty young age, I decided I didn't like any of my father or mother's uh, extent, the extended family. Um, but she was always really sweet to me. She was always very nice. And up until she died, she was she was she was the only one who I had. I didn't have a lot of contact with her, but the only one who I had any contact with. And she was always very sweet. So I I, I wish I could tell you that she was like a stereotypical kind of, uh, you know, None, whatever, whatever. But she was definitely, she was very sweet. That's not but it's, what's that? What was her name? Uh, Veronica. Sister Veronica. Yeah. That's cool, <laughs> I mean, man. you know, cool. Veronica Gavin. I don't know if you get more Irish Catholic than that. Oh, that's, that's, yeah, that's, that's on point. Mm. But yo, you guys know, within the last two weeks, you guys know what went down. Oh my God! It's so crazy. It's, it's the the paradigm shift immediately, is is almost. You don't want to overtake the entire conversation, without talking linearly, or at least I like talking linearly. Like you know, let's start at the very beginning, okay, and walk our way back because, the end result is if we talk about what we know, the way that the social media pejorative is now, is completely different today than two and a half weeks ago, you know? So let's walk through it at the beginning, and then I think that's the better way to discuss all of it. Okay, before we start, though, before we discuss that stuff, with the OG, I don't know. OG, what is your personal opinion on shows happening at this point with with there still being, you know, the pandemic is still in effect, there's still cases and whatnot. Do you have mm-hmm. any particular opinion about that? <clears throat> I think at this point now... With um, so this whole time, I've really paid attention to numbers. Um, there's a site, I don't remember what it's called, I have it saved on my phone. That is just numbers, it's no opinions, it's no nothing, it's just factual numbers. I remember in your podcast, you, you went to that a lot, especially talking about Pennsylvania Worldometers info, correct? Yes, yep. Yep. I've been I've been on that I've been on that gimmick since remember I was sharing it at the very beginning. Uh, yep. Yes. I probably got it from you initially. So that's all I've been really paying attention to. Um so the numbers are down. There's a large percentage of people who, who have gotten vaccinated already, and it's outside. I don't personally see anything wrong with this. Um I understand. I think that something that hasn't been uh, addressed at this point yet is the mental toll that this has has and will be taking on people as far as their apprehension to do anything at this point. Um, So even when things are, you know, quote, okay, I think there's going to be a lot of people who who have suffered from this to the point that they're going to be apprehensive about a lot of things. And I sympathize. Um, I I want to say something that's parallel to what you're saying. It's kind of mm-hmm. like an insight from. So Richie is 
uh, one of the only human beings that stayed in constant contact with me while I was on house arrest mm-hmm. 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And Richie, I'll tell you, pre-house arrest, I was out at every single show. Yeah. And just not being able to go out and do things. And then the secondary fear of if I go out and get in trouble, I could be in jail really put me back as far as being physically social. And Richie 10 years later still rides me for not coming out to things because as I've gotten older, I like being places where I can do something because my anxiety is less. Mm -hmm. And like when I'm stuck around people, I have to have, a number of things to really feel chill. And so this whole time I've been really pensive and not trying to overthink like the first moment. And Richie will tell you, he was like the morning of, I was calling him and he's like, ah, you know, you should have come up, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, nah, man, I'm three blocks from Bartletti's house. We're getting in the van. We're coming up. And he was so excited. I was so excited. And then being there was hard. In one way, in that, like, you have to break that. It's like you have to break that that thing off, man. Being at that Thompson Square Park show, mental health-wise, put such energy into me. Like, I was down in so many ways. Like, mentally down, you know, private life, regular life, missing all of this in the real flesh. And so I completely agree. It was very hard. And I, I can only imagine that other people will also have a problem stepping out in that first time, like, oh, fuck, what's it going to be like? Yeah. I did have a little precursor, like a little warm-up, in that I went to Bob's gimmick, the little park thing. But, I mean, that might have been 100 people, and we were spread out, versus being in, like, a sea of thousands, and every turn you turn your head, you see another friend. Like, Richie, can you agree? If you looked in one direction, you saw five people that you never got to say hello to. Yeah, yeah, and even after the event was over, uh, and looking online, I realized so many other people were there that I didn't know they were there at the time. I wish I could have got up with a lot of other people, you know. I think that, um, especially from this group of people who are into this sort of subculture, I think that many people deep down um, have these issues normally anyway. Um, social anxiety stuff and, and uh, you know, different things that, uh, that sort of mask depression issues and, um, you know, things like that. So I think in normal times, at times, it's difficult for people to leave the house sometimes and go do whatever. You combine it with over a year of conditioning at this point, whether that conditioning is right or wrong or accurate or legitimately safe, not safe, whatever your opinion might be on that. It doesn't matter. This is the conditioning that's been put down on people for the past over a year. To break out of that cycle, I think, is going to to be difficult for a lot of people, a lot of people. Yeah. And, and you know, that's – I'm afraid that once this is all said and done – there will be lasting ish, mental health issues with a lot of people. Oh, unequivocally. Yeah. I mean, they got the people that didn't have their last moments if they did lose someone. And I, and I have quite a few friends that have talked about that. And I mean, there's so many things that was done in 
protection of spreading that removes so many human elements out of our daily lives, you know? And I, I, when someone says back to normal, I think we have to be cognizant that the normal changes, the bar moves, you know, it's not, it's a lot of people have construed this to nine 11. I don't really want to do that, but there was that thought process where people say, Oh, well the world, will, the world will bounce back from this. And it shifted. And I think that COVID's going to shift the world and we're going to have to find our own balance and we're going to have to find our comfort zone. And hopefully over time we can get back to that comfort publicly. But I know friends who may never really go back fully to what they were before because they lost or be out of, out of the worry of contracting something. And a lot of my friends who had, immunocompromised family members or elderly or, you know, infertile people that like, or uh, not infirm, not infertile though, uh, that that's going to stay with them a lot longer than like us three sprightly young lads that have the <laughs> prime of our lives ahead of us. <laughs> mm. Yeah. There's, there's, there's going to be issues all around. Some people are not going to be phased at all. Some people are going to be totally bugged out. You got to remember, some people, their last days, their last months, their last year on Earth was during this time. So it's almost like some people say, oh, it's selfish to do this, that, the other thing. And then, but, you know, for some people, we put them, we locked them up in our own houses for their last year of life. And we told them not to enjoy life. And a lot of people knew. How, how many thousands of people out there knew, oh, I got eight months to live? And then this thing popped off. You never really yeah. thought of that angle. You know what I mean? And now you you can't do anything for your last eight months except die alone. You know, there's so many different ways to look at this. And every way is selfish. But when we keep on pointing the finger and this guy looks at it wrong and that guy looks at it, we all look at it wrong. There's no, there's no right or wrong way to look at something that we are totally unfamiliar with. And we don't know what the end result will even be yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it was proven pretty early on that the the people who are supposed to have answers to things didn't. Yeah. So how does Joe Jerkoff on your Facebook have the answer and this guy doesn't? I know. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it, it's like, come on, man. Like, I, we I don't. Were, think... We were given so many different directions that completely contradicted the earlier directions given to us by the same people, and we're not supposed to even mention that at some point. We're just supposed to blindly go along with every new detail. And that's if you want to do that, fine. But how could you be shocked when other people are saying, wait a minute, you just said the other th blah, blah, blah. And, it, and then it's it just it's all to me. I don't give a fuck if World War Three is going on outside and there's a nuclear winter. If somebody says there's a hardcore show, I'm going. I'm going to figure out a way to go. Like, but that's my mentality. And if somebody doesn't like that, stay the fuck home. Please stay home. Be safe. Do however you however you feel safe do that but just the finger pointing that came I, after this event just totally rubbed me the wrong way made me see this whole so-called scene in a new light it's it's just a shadow of what i thought it was i i gotta challenge you on this and it's and it's feel something free. that we said privately but it's a good conversation point for people to listen those who those who said something are not in our world they're not in the mix. They have this basic, exactly what you said, and they're so relative to what you said, like Joe Schmo on Facebook. This is someone who had 
no ability to articulate a position, they went on a straight attack. And from my from my perspective, seeing the multitudes of people who wrote on the This Is Hardcore Facebook, or and the This Is Hardcore Instagram rather, and the Joe Hardcore Instagram, these are people not connected. And and the reason why it's not connected is because the way social media is built is that once a rise comes up numerically, it's kind of like a big. I said I said this in another podcast. It's like a growing pile of shit that attracts more flies. And the original people that were attacking were never going to be a part of the show. And the people who didn't agree said, well, it's not for me, but you know, I, I'm not going to say anything. It was the third and fourth and fifth wave of humans that just wanted to get in because they thought they small, smelled blood and they thought they would get like, you know, as we'll get later, we talk about a certain person's big mouth and how they would delete their fucking account. You know, uh, they they were trying to turn people the way they turn people every day in Twitter and Instagram on some attack where they get into the defensive. And I think what happened is enough of us kind of formed some kind of like ironclad, no, we don't give a fuck. If you don't like it, then you don't do it. But don't tell us. And I don't think that those people encountered that. And so I refuse to believe, based upon the commentary, and the excitement of people seeing it and the reactions and so many people saying, God, I wish I could have went. God, if I knew it would have been that many people, I would have went. And I feel like the thing to understand is that people see Mayball not in front of thousands of people in America anymore, usually. And, and Murphy's Law doesn't play in front of thousands of people anymore. And so part of this is that people want to be a part of something big. And I think that between the short notice of the show promotion and the fact that some people are probably like, oh, that's not going to be a huge deal. No one realized the epic history that was created. But the people that didn't realize, they're on our team. And the people that stayed silent, they're still on our team. It was a silent majority Ugh. and a very loud minority. But that minority is people who don't want to be on our team. They don't want to – they don't you give a fuck. right. In a way. And so, so I have to defend. I have to defend. The, I have to defend the everyday, the everyday hardcore person, and I have to defend the people that stood by quietly and said, "Hey, I appreciate what you said." Or, "Hey, listen, I, you know, like I said in a podcast, the way I came off in the video was through anger. But realistically, if you don't want to go to a show because your own personal opinions or your own personal family situation, I have respect for that. Just don't tell me what the fucking do." Don't tell me what I did was wrong because I don't I don't jump in in a public forum anymore and tell people what they did was wrong. You know, like I don't care what other people do. I agree but with I, you to an extent. I, I just this don't. Is the thing, okay. the people that you say aren't part of this scene anyway and wouldn't come out. That's true, but somehow our own people in our own scene give those people power. There are bands out there that are scared to chime in, scared to say a word because they're scared of COVID. No, because they're scared of a Twitter mob of a bunch of fucking nerds. That makes me look at so many of these bands in a different way, like a totally different way. I can't respect a good 50 percent of the people I used to respect after this. Now let's, let's, All let's, because I, I see that they let nobody's going to tell me shit. This is not going to happen if I'm wrong. And I fuck up, you know me, I'll apologize in two seconds. But to, to see the backbone on these bands and how they cave 
and how they, they, they put out these little things. They're, they're sitting by while their friends are being called racist, by while their friends are being wished death. And, and some of the, the, the tweets that they put out after this or the things they would have rubbed me the wrong way. A lot of pussies out there, bro. I, A lot of pussies. I, I want to say something that goes back to the high school discussion we had. So when we're talking about the Xavier's age people and the way that they interact in high school, so many of these kids are gamers and online people that their world is so much more immersed. Like their first life is the internet and their real life is them just going through the motions to get through to the point where they're back to being interfaced. So when all of us here, you know what happened when a bunch of people started yelling me on Twitter and Instagram, I blocked the ones that said some crazy shit. And I said, you know what? I'm about to run this nuclear project for my union and my guys. I don't have time to bicker. And I and I took Twitter off my telephone but didn't delete my account. They and canceled focused, you. Yeah, and, and, you know, and, I, and I focused on real life. The problem is is that we're looking at a generation gap where the internet is so much more important into the validity and the self-worth and the social commerce of these younger people. That because they've lived growing up in it, where all three of us woke up one day and didn't go, let's log on. Like we actually were talking about how we grew up. We grew up meeting our friends, going and doing real things in the analog world. And unfortunately, the digital world has a deeper hold on a lot of these people that you're talking about. And so where you and I would say, yeah, who the fuck cares? To them, it's everything. It's like Tron. And it's also like I've been using the same... I've been using the same analogy. It's so much like Matrix. Like Neo, without logging in, is still a skinny little bitch until the third movie where he does actually start doing shit out of the Matrix. But for the most part, he has to log in to be the man. And that's how all these kids grew up. So I'm a big fucking boy. And like I said, if someone really has a problem with me, it's hands or it's nothing. And there's no in-between. Because if you're saying, hey, I don't want to do it, I respect you. If you're saying... Yo, you're a piece of shit and a racist, and you don't know me, and go fuck yourself. And you know what that means? 99.8% of the chance they'll never walk by me in real life and say anything because I'll smack the fucking shit out of them for it. I know you will. I know you will. But I'm talking about bands. That's what I was talking about. And, and people closer to our own age that I see being very spineless during these times. That's what I was talking about. So they I, they can't fall back on the excuse of, that's how I grew up. I no, 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 no. I know you dudes, but now I know that the Twitter mob is pulling your leash, and I look at you like bitches now. That's what I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Not yeah. I know the kids on Twitter. It's a goofy shit, and it's, I, I have fun interacting sometimes. I know I'm not a racist. You know, I know that they're not going to really shoot me. I know that, but I'm just saying, I'm talking about my peers, the people I thought were peers. A lot of them after this whole circus, I lost respect for. That's that's commendable. And I, and I don't disagree with your position. I just think there's a lot of people that are younger that are just, it's a really fucked up world. It's kind of like, so if we take the same person that we're talking about, let's just use any number of people that we can just lump into a generic form. The same person who won't say anything on Twitter or won't say anything to defend or say, you know what, I stand with these guys. If I walked up to them in real life and punched their best friend or girlfriend in the face, they're not putting hands up. They don't know. They're literally incapable. They've been 
stripped of action. They've been stripped of the ability to think or act for themselves. And so I just view them differently. I truly do. I don't, I don't, I don't view down my nose on them. I, and I just look at them as a different type of human in the sense of where they would take life, how they would react to things. And so I, I keep my expectations low. But I completely understand and I respect the position you have. I appreciate that, young Joe Harcourt. <laughs> OG. OG, where are you at on this? Where are you at? I think um, so as much as this was a thing pre-COVID where, where um, a certain group groups of people, their entire thing is, is online existence – after COVID, this is one of the things that was almost encouraged by higher ups. Well, you can do anything online. You know what I mean? Like people were working online. People are still working online. So I think that it even doubled down on what some of these people's lives already were because now they're working online. They're, they're ordering things online. They're doing – so every all existence for this past year has mostly been online. Mm, yeah. I think that there is a lot of um, – so when situations like this come up, I, I usually have a gut reaction, and then I, and then I kind of uh, try and analyze it, uh, take, take feelings out of it. I think a lot of people are – uh, upset and angry and depressed because of the circumstances of the last year and a half almost. And I almost think that people are looking to attack and vent at anything they possibly can on both sides politically. Let's, let's use politically as an example. I'm, I'm definitely guilty of this at times. Um, it sounded to me now I didn't I didn't dive too deep into these things and, and you guys were personally um, you guys were, were targets you know what I mean I was not so I, I sort of glanced through it it's difficult for me at times to read things like this because um, I don't like seeing that kind of stuff. And I mean, maybe that makes me a pussy. I don't know, but I don't like seeing fighting amongst people who should be getting along. And I don't like to see people that I care about be attacked. So my choices were, do I jump into this and defend where nobody who's attacking will give a fuck what I have to say? Or, do I sort of analyze this? And I think that it's, it's a very sad state that a lot of people are in at this time. And I think that a lot of it is everybody wants an enemy right now because there's a lot of pent up anger and a lot of pent up frustrations. And the first chance that they, that some people see, they will attack. So instead of having the kind of conversation like, Ah, Richie, I don't know. Like, I'm glad you guys had fun. I'm glad you did it. I don't know if I'm comfortable yet doing that, though. You know what I mean? That's a reasonable conversation. Nobody wants to have it. And a there were people that said things similar to that, definitely. Yeah, and I'm not sure a lot of people want to have a reasonable conversation no. at this point because look at what we what people have been conditioned to do for the last year. I love that you use that word. <laughs> um, 
you know, if so, and again, I'm I'm guilty of this. I see I, I, for for fucking four years, I saw somebody saying some Trump shit. I'm jumping on it. Get you know him, what I mean? Or, yeah, man. Like I, it got to the point where. I, you know, if it was the okie doke, I fell for it. I fucking can't stand that Trump motherfucker, man. I can't stand uh, that. Uh, yeah, and it was very difficult for me to wrap my head around how people who I know personally, who I know know better, were falling for it. It's the great mystery of our time. I'll never understand it. Let me. Bro, and, I can. And, I can explain it. Oh shit! Let me know. Like this. You just said conditioning. Yeah. I'm going to take you to one of the most important books ever written, 1984 by George Orwell. The Two Minutes Hate. And this is uh, from E-Notes. So for anybody who hasn't listened or hasn't read the amazing dystopian futuristic novel written by George Orwell, it is so pertinent to a lot of things that are going on in today's society. And it's an important document in a way that it went from being fiction to almost like prophetical. And so here we go. What is the two minutes of hate in 1984 and what is its purpose in the story? The two minutes of hate in 1984 is a daily ritual in which party members express their hatred for enemies of the party. It is an important plot device in the book since it provides a point for the two main characters. It also shows how the party compels orthodoxy and cohesiveness amongst members. I'm going to take this further. The Two Minutes Hate is a break in the day in which party members briefly stop work routines and gather in front of a screen in order to participate in an intense expression of hatred against enemies of the state. Its overt purpose is to bind party members in solidarity and collective purpose against those who would undermine or destroy the government of Oceana. In this specific scenario, it's the collective ideologies that these children possess or these humans on, on Twitter. Its covert purpose is to allow people to vent the repressed aggressions and frustrations in a socially sanctioned way. These aggressions are caused by many deprivations and humiliations. The inner party deliberately orchestrates to keep people broken, miserable, and under control. The Tuman hates obviously also functions as a plot device in a society in which people are kept alienated and apart from each other, which too much interaction with others can be potentially a thought crime. This activity brings people together in a group. It gives the characters a chance to observe each other, and they don't know each other's name, but this is their binding point. It also shows how the party uses propaganda to manipulate people. It reveals the, how quickly enemies can change, where it forces be, people to engage in doublethink or quickly forget that they once knew the order to align a new reality that must simultaneously be accepted as what has always been. Now, the last part I need to explain, the main character is Winston. He works for the party, and he goes back, and he changes the past in the, in, the, in the documents. So the past is always correct with the current present. So as Oceana has enemies, there have always been enemies. When Oceana makes allies, they're always allied. And this is what's going on right now. And this was written decades before. This is a coordinated ability to show people a way to express aggression and it's coordinated to get a cohesive mindset to attack any enemy and that's why the minute they saw no masks they decided every brown 
POC, <sighs> whatever you want to call the persons at those shows, every kind of human was representative. There was like four or five separate languages being spoken at that show. And yet, the minute masks, mask gathering was seen, they removed the people who were present and the people who were on stage, and they put them in red MAGA hats because they were programmed to believe that anyone who would meet outside forego mask would have to only be racist Trump MAGA people. And going back to MGP, this is a book that I had to read before I was even in sixth grade, and it stays with me. And for anyone listening who hasn't read it, it's it's required reading to understand the manipulation of modern people. And it's almost gone from a, a non-fiction uh, book to a textbook in the organization and control of thought in America and through social media. Now, if, that, if that's true, then why weren't they conditioned to be angered at the event in Los Angeles? For the same purposes. So... And, and again, it says it, it says it simultaneously, the, the reality changes. So the two minutes hate, every single day, the party members line up and they scream at a screen. And they get their aggressions out. Mm. But if the party changes who their enemy is, then that person's going to scream at anything in the screen. So I've always said that whoever is first will have to fall on the sword. And that's the way it worked. The first, and you know what's interesting, and I don't like to be a snitch, so I'll just leave it at this. Those LA things happened before the New York thing, and yeah, there was a similar show in LA. Was a week before that, yeah, and, and, and it was and it was covered on Fools Going Wild, and it's one of my favorite videos. I sent it to G, I sent it to Vinny, I sent it to everybody. It's one of the coolest things where he's like, "I'm about to take this balloon to the neck." <laughs> I was so happy when I saw that footage. I was so excited. Why? I, I thought everybody knew about that. Like, I thought that was a thing. The kids in a wrestling mask going crazy and a big so fat dude. Was... So this goes into we're now we're into guessing. So and my guess is because these nerds didn't know about that. No. I gotta hear their mouth. No, it, it has to deal with <laughs> the fact that these younger, the younger people, and so many people just don't know about fucking hardcore. We forget that these portals, these internet fucking existence is people just looking around for shit, and the algorithm just shows you violence. So for all we know, and violence comes in many forms, but for all we know, that second and third wave of people were just built into the algorithm to find an argument. Anybody that's familiar with that Monty Python you know, argument clinic skit, there are people who spend their entire day, 8 to 12 hours a day, arguing on the internet politically. And I feel like the wave that I started blocking in crazier droves and the couple hardcore people that are like, hey, this doesn't look chill, or not even people that would ever know who the fuck any of these bands were. And so I think it's algorithm-driven. I'm being serious. I had some dude like Ken's Gardening being like, what, motherfucker, you won't block me again? I'm like, bitch, I'll block all your gardening fucking accounts, you weirdo, you freak. <laughs> uh, this doesn't look chill to me. Yeah, this doesn't look chill to me. But that's the thing is, so I feel like because there's a disconnect between the young and the old, and it's easy for them to disparage these kind of bands and to put distance. It's easier than them admitting and saying, hey, I got into hardcore through different means. And I mean, as I said, culturally, yeah, there's a 40-year gap between some of the bands and what's going on now. So it's impossible for every young kid to know Agnostic Front, Victim of Pain. We can hope that they learn it, 
But I think for some of them, the push is to not learn. So it's sometimes it's easier for them to disparage and say, I'm not listening to this white racist shit where it's like, oh, yeah, cool. You know, a Cuban immigrant singer. <laughs> yeah, he's racist. You know, like they just don't know. So they're looking for the out. That's my position on it. How That's my that Los Angeles footage, Joe. That was so awesome. So again, work only microscopically touched on. And I said this to Jay, and I told you about it. Yeah, you know what? I got paid to mosh in an AFI video, and I could do a lot of ninja kicks. I miss getting knocked on the ground. I miss having some fat weirdo headbutt me and look at <laughs> yeah, yeah, magic marker on a head. <laughs> the thing that we're missing as our generation right now is the inclusion of the real crazy punks. And I, I booked Leftover Crack. Gee, you were at them shows when we did Negative Approach, Leftover Crack. Yeah. yeah. Like, that's the real crowd. That's the unfettered. They're not homogenized. And, 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 you know, in all of our different things we've talked about, the homogenization of hardcore into kind of like, this is what's cool, this is what's not. This is what you do in a pit. This isn't what you do in a pit. Has really pushed our culture into one single corner. And what I saw in New York with them kids and the crazy shit, I mean, there were like some cyber, some like young, crazy people of color is the terminology because I don't want to get in trouble for not saying it. But <laughs> um, the people of color, they looked like fucking, I don't know, cyber goth or I don't even know what you would call them. They had like yellow. It looked like the guys that the Terminator beat up in the opening scene. Like they were, they were just not dressed like your average, not now hardcore kid. And you know what they did? They loved every second of every band. And I said to myself, if this was the show, like I see Manball right before, F, you know, FYA right before COVID, and there was a ton of kids just standing there with their hands in their pocket enjoying Manball. These kids thrived in every single song, and I guarantee you they didn't know the words. But they were happy to be in the presence. And so when you magnify that to that L.A. world, them kids don't give a fuck. And they're not attached to this internet. They're not attached to anything besides wiling the fuck out. And that's punk in its rawest form. And that's why I think the tipping scale of all that stuff is L.A. has always had a culture different from New York in that it had these weird, expansive punk background things. I think Vice covered it. There's a couple of YouTube videos where you can see some of this stuff, but there's always been this, like, where our East Coast is, like, some gentrified white nerd moves to West Philly and opens up a punk house, but only certain bands can play. Or these crazy cholo bastards from East L.A. are just doing shows in the back of, like, old garages and huge parking lots and just going fucking nuts. And so, for me, looking at the two... The, the things that made the New York show special were the kids that showed up not to be in their coolest mosher and their coolest mosh move, but to just go all the way the fuck out. And I actually had to tell a couple of the younger hardcore kids, like, hey, calm down. This is what hardcore was like before all these ninja moves became the standard form. And it was a lot of fun, man. It was crazy. I loved it. Yeah, it was a good time. I had a good time. Gee? <clears throat> when I was young... I went to, um, I, I don't remember what year it was. I think I was just talking to you about it. I, I don't remember, but I was talking to somebody about it. And one of the first real shows I went to, so I had gone to, you know, the Spectrum and shit. I saw Ozzy and Metallica at the Spectrum, you know, whatever. 
one of the first smaller shows I went to was Motorhead at the Troc. Wow. And it was Motorhead, uh, She Male Encounters, who was a local Philly punk rock band, and Anvil Bitch, who was like a local Philly metal band. And the diversity in that crowd that was there was what has always stuck in my head of what it's supposed to be because that's what I, I that was my first exposure so I always thought that's what it was you had you know motherfuckers representing from every form of whatever you want to call it subculture and whatever and I like those things those diversity things you know I like uh different people representing from different things that realistically is all under the same umbrella. You can have your, you know, your, your things that you're, your, your specific things that you're into, but really we're, we're under the same umbrella. And I may not like, you know, some newer hardcore band. It doesn't mean I don't respect what they're doing. And it doesn't mean that I don't support everything that they're doing because we are all under the same umbrella, whether people want to admit that or not. Yeah, I like the same thing. I always love a good mixed-up crowd, European. like a crowd that doesn't make sense. Yeah, like a I mean, long-haired was... kid with a with a belt that has bullets on it. You yeah. know what I mean? A random skinhead with a pink flight right, jacket. Right. Yeah. Like I like I like fucking. I don't know, weird, I guess, myself included. I like weird fucking people. Yeah. And that's really, to me, the core of what this is. Just because it became a thing doesn't mean at some point. No, all it became us... stale, man. I'm telling you, like, you know, this, this hardcore scene is stale and played out right now. And I'm hoping that event out in LA and those types of kids that enjoyed bands like, like, the, there was hardcore bands on that bill that called themselves straight up hardcore bands that are in our scene. Mm -hmm. If if there were kids that just showed up to while out, I hope they start loving those bands, going to the shows, looking into it. And I hope we get that element within the scene because right now the kids that are coming out, a lot of them are just fucking dopey, corny little cunts. And it's like really bothering me because from day one, I'm, I'm only in a band. I only do a podcast because I'm a cheerleader for the scene. That's all I care about is the scene. All that other sh shit is second. And when I see my scene getting weak and looking stale and putrid and becoming whiny and the same, like my scene is really just a, a mirror of mainstream society with Democrats fighting Republicans. Really? That's what my scene became? Whack. Whack. Ahead, G? Nah, I'm going to G hit this one. I saw this interview with um, Jack Grisham, from the, who was a singer for TSOL. Jack was around from 78, 79. First generation. Yeah. He went through Vicious Circle, which was a notorious L.A. band. Yeah. Or uh, Huntington Beach, like that that thing. Notorious fucking problem, this band. Got so heavy that he had to break up the band. Then they start TSOL, blah, 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 blah. 
I saw Grisham being questioned about some of the, you know, they were specifically talking about the violence that was wrapped around that seat, that whole early eighties, California scene. And Jack said something that resonated with me, not so much specifically about the fighting stuff, but in big picture. And he said, you know, I loved it. And I was a hundred percent in until there started being infighting. <clears throat> and then once family was gone, I was out. And I sort of understand what he was saying. If this is changing into something like that, where we're crabs in a barrel pulling each other down, I'm oh. not so sure that it's what I signed up for. Exactly. I can disagree. Let's say my stance was a hard stance against Richie playing this show. Well, from where I come from, I would say, Richie, I'm concerned about you. You're my friend. Do you think this is safe for you to do? Are you okay with this? Blah, 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 blah. I'm not sure I'm ready to do that. Whatever, whatever. If you choose to do it, I hope you're safe. I hope um, everything works out. There's ways to disagree and still support your people without this constant hostility amongst people who society in general is hostile towards. So it's we're going to be time. hostile against each other now? That, that's my whole point. That's my whole point. I'm a cheerleader for the scene. If it's a band I don't know and I see a clip that's dope, and I reach out to the band. I don't care if they're 11 years old or 59 years old. That you know, Dead City Punks band hits. For real, I reached out to to, to them, Section Hate, both of those bands, because I loved what I saw. You know what I mean? And uh, it's just like, you know, and I had people say that to me, OG. Yeah, man, I'm not going. You're crazy for going, but send me some footage. You know, they told (sighs) me they think it's stupid for for going, and that's fine. I didn't get, I didn't take insult to that. But when people try to turn me going into some, you know. Uh, you know, current phrase, uh, a Nazi or a MAGA like that, just like that, that made me think of a totally different way about it's, so many it's people. very, it, it's, it's, I don't know how to say this again without sounding like weird, but it's, it's sort of upsetting to me that people go to that. And I don't know if it's because, you know, uh, people don't know each other personally or whatever. I mean, I'll, I'll bring a weird little thing up that I guess Sheer Terror played this little show. Uh, I don't know where it was. New York. New York. You know, and Paul was doing Paul's thing. And some people there got really offended by it and immediately went to Fat Nazi, fucking old head, motherfucker, Nazi this, Nazi that, Nazi Now, Paul's a friend of mine, a genuine friend of mine, you know? And Paul does what he does. And I'm not saying that you, that anyone needs to enjoy what he does or appreciate the humor that he does. You can even think that the stuff he says is, is stupid and not funny. That's, I have no issue with that. But when you immediately jump to these accusations of racist and 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 
Nazi stuff, when it's on someone who I know personally, I wouldn't even say I'm offended by it. It legitimately upsets me. And I'm not sure where we fix that issue because it's not okay. You can sit there and say he's he's a fucking asshole. His his fucking jokes are stupid. He's fucking washed up. He's what I got. I'll take no issue with that. But when you start to condemn the character of people because you you disagree with something and it's not even a political stance it's a it's a look i i went to the show or i played the show and i did my shtick that i always did from fucking 1980 fucking four or whatever the fuck before these motherfuckers were even born yeah and these I never... people not know what a actual Nazi is? Is that the... it's, it, it goes deeper. It goes it's it's actually simpler and yet deeper at the same time. And I, and I'm going to keep going back to this and sound like a broken record. 90% of the people we're talking about probably have gamer tags logged in their bios. They live in a internet universe. And they're so used to just being able to communicate in any way they feel to any person with no repercussion, no sense of, hey, I belong with this person. And they're almost looking for antagonization. They're looking to find ways to not be like these people. And, and, and especially if you're older, if you're, if you're not part of that world, they don't like us. They just don't. And, and the thing is, is they don't fucking have to because in three or four years, real life is going to snap into their brains and they're going to be on to the next whatever the fuck it is. We're not dealing with lifers here. We're not. We're really not. I mean, and and, it, I, and it, you could be on that Facebook No Echo group and what is it? It's just like um, any subculture. The minute there's a message board, you're going to hear about it from people who quote-unquote gave up. That's like, you know, you're like still writing a letter to your ex, but you say you don't care no more. Why are you on Facebook? Cunts on that website. Oh why? Why God. spend all? Why spend all this time talking about something that you every single day talk about it you don't like? Because you're lost. And I think a lot of these people, they want their place to be where they're important, and so they like the ability to like call out to people this kind of like power. And the thing is, is the only way to push back is had Mayball Wisdom and Chains or anybody else been like, how dare you share terror? But the fact that we looked at this and we're like, A, if you watch the video, there's nothing to this. B, you know, there's almost 40 years of extent that shows you that Paul Bearer is not like your average modern hardcore kid. And he talks the way he talks. But I find that you guys are you guys are putting this position on the people that really do love hardcore. And really do care whether they're 40 years old and they're married, but they still love it. Or these 20-year-old kids that love it and they just don't know where their place is. There's so many good humans in hardcore. There's so many people that love this culture and are doing so many crazy things to be a part of it. That it's this outlier group that is like from gaming and from online attacks. And these, these kids organize attacks. This is another thing. They got their little group chats that are off that are off like a Twitter thing and they and they organize. And they like decide like okay I don't like this so then they literally sync up. It's literally like it's 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 ironic because you know there's an internet thing 
where everybody is looking to point out where you did something wrong. So had Paul Bearer made fun of a fat person, he would have been accused of being a fat shamer. Yet what was the first attack against him? Yeah, he's fat. And, you know, all you hear out of this entire internet group is, well, everybody in hardcore is gatekeeping. The only thing I know is, is that every time the, the loud minority of people that make these attacks on the older hardcore people is that they're trying to, like, say that this isn't a part of their world. And they're right. They're not a part of what we do. They're not our part of hardcore. They clicked on a button and found music that isn't even, isn't even within 25 years of some of these records that they're mad about the people they're talking about. And I think a lot of that has to do with ageism. And a lot of it has to do with them being intimidated by the reality that, like, they came from, I look at it like the minor leagues is all these, like, side metal things. And then they start finding hardcore, and then they realize, like, oh, fuck, there's 40 years. There is a social hierarchy. There's decades of people and decades of relationships. So, yeah, you don't just get to show up, and all of a sudden everyone's bowing to you like you did when you went to your first couple shows in whatever place you did. And since so much of this is internet, I just don't take it seriously. Someone's not saying this to my fucking face, which today, as of today, through all the internet stuff that I've been put through, no one has ever walked up and said anything like they would on the internet. So I take none of it seriously. And I would never let stupid people with with opinions that I don't agree with disparage the good people in hardcore. Imagine me going to see Garth Brooks and then jumping into the country scene and trying to change everything and saying he's wearing that hat and he shouldn't be wearing a hat because the first guy, to, you know what I mean? It's just like, get the fuck out of here. Like, you, if you don't like anything about this scene, I just don't get it. Why? I wouldn't, I wouldn't chime in on anything I, have, I, I don't like. That's just me. You know what I mean? I just don't get these, these, these people. But, yeah, there are a lot of good people in the scene. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. I'm always going to stick up for a lot of cunts too. Though. Well, you've definitely you, you've definitely shown that with your podcast, Joe. I've ne- I, I I don't know, you know, I don't know what percentage half the people who you've talked to, but you've definitely showed uh, a side of a lot of the younger people who I would have paid no attention to. You know what I mean? And uh, that's one of the things I enjoy about the the podcast that you do is that you're showing different different aspects of this big picture and well you have to include them you know like and it's yeah hard. it's hard because how do you get a young kid who's been around for five years to have depth of story i mean i wish to god i and i almost thought about doing like a 20 minute clip of like 10 kids because some of these people's stories just beginning and i don't want them to feel unrecognized but like when we're talking about the stuff on the podcast like that kid sailing from Bloodbather. I saw his video. The that's one we're the about. one like, that that's the one that sticks out in my head when I was actually saying that. Cut. The kid said I didn't have money for a guitar, so I went to the store and played it. And that's a whole nother level of dedication that a lot of the people that are like the quote unquote attackers, or I'll put them in there. And if I'm, I'll put them in that group. Like there's a privilege in just being able to own an instrument. There's a privilege in just having the opportunity and and. Ernie Talbert put me on this, the access and exposure to learn how to play music and the access to instruments. And the fact that some of these young folks, despite what they have against them, are still learning how to play instruments and are still trying to write and still trying to tour, there has to be a voice for them. And, and you know what? Not everybody is Salem. You know, like, I got to tell you, like, 
when I did Greg Falchetto, <laughs> you know, like he was talking for like 20 minutes about stuff that I wouldn't initially put into the hardcore frame, but by the young kid standard to like, he's epic to these guys. And for me, he was like the baby boy who was in the, the shattered realm van. So when people are like, dude, this Greg episode is going to be epic. I'm like, Oh, that's my young boy. I mean, he does so much for this is hardcore. And that's one of my dudes, but like, I didn't get it. And I have to remember sometimes as we get longer in this, we forget that some of these people that have come after us have also made impacts in the people that have come after them. It's just finding a good story. And I think that's the hardest thing. I like when I like when it comes together and I've been looking for more younger folks whose story will make sense and be tied into so many other people. But there's a ton of plug and play young kids now in a sense where they buy it, they buy it, they buy gear or they go online and they meet people and they buy gear and then they're in a band and then the band has a tour and then all this stuff happens and it's the struggle. And I think anyone who's listening to this has to understand no good story comes without struggle. And so many younger kids I know now don't have struggle. Do you think, do you guys think that because of how accessible this is at this point has caused some of these issues. Yes. I feel like, and I'm not on some old head trip, I feel like it was a lot of effort had to be put in where I see now that there's not much effort that has to be put into anything, let alone this. That's my that's my plug and play term. Right. It's so much easier to walk into. I mean, like tomorrow, me, you, and Richie could have a band, completely from a computer. We could write music, produce it, and have it out in under twenty four hours, with a website with merch, with Bandcamp downloads, with social media, and the whole world can see it with such minuscule efforts. That to them, it's so much easier. And it's the little things. It's the small things. Like, I love when the kids get excited about analog. I like the idea that they have to understand, like, there's no there's no getting around cutting out that stupid cassette and making it full bright. Unless you order the cassette insert. I love the kid who wants to make the zine. And yeah, I mean, they're not doing a mimeograph and that the old printing systems. But just photocopying and putting ideas together on paper when you could easily write a blog. They're the ones chasing effort, I applaud because they're not trying to do it to be anachronistic. They're actually engaging in how we did it so they have a better understanding. And I understood that best after the Chris episode, the very first episode of the podcast, where so many people were like, wait, you guys are writing fucking letters to people? Like, that's a lost art. I mean, Richie will tell you. I mean, you know, correspondence and connections were made in the most physical, slowest form at the outset of my hardcore world, Richie was engaged in it with Crutch. You know, like, it becomes a lost thing. So the culture at some point doesn't have the same exact value because it's less physical time put in to see a result. And the thing is, is Richie might have sent a cassette to some kid in France. He may never really know unless a kid writes him a letter and tells him how he feels about that tape but a band who puts it on band camp music on band camp 
shares and they look at the metrics how many likes how many shares how many retweets how many quote tweets how many stories and they have a metric of reward that is so mechanical that the that the reward is so immediate that they don't understand what it took to build so much of this up yeah and it's it's it's, a, it's just not different from anything else anymore that's my issue you know what i mean well it's homogenized and it's streamlined to be a product with no difference in bearing to the you main could be a, you could be a soundcloud rapper or a hardcore band and you're going to use all the same tools you're going to it's just it's a different day and i talked to some of these kids and I, I try to be nice and they're telling me their first band was corn and instead of hitting them in the head with ashtray i tried to be like uh, corn uh <laughs> Corn, like, why would you even mention corn? Don't it's, mention corn to me. Yeah, it's oh, very difficult God. for me to. I try not to. I really don't ever want to be that dude, that old yeah. guy who. I really don't. But you say something like corn to me, and I'm like, yo, man. This was I, the I, laughing. This was our, we didn't like corn, right? I, 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 nah, bro. No. Like, how, does someone, how does someone who likes corn get into hardcore? That's what I, I never well, get. Well, so like, what happened? So what happened is is corn and all these bands of the late '90s, they became this generation's Black Sabbaths. Don't you ever say that. I'm being honest. <laughs> it's, it's, it's an exposure thing. Black Sabbaths still exist, though. They're still playing. Uh, Ozzy's a puppet. He's a fucking. He's a mummy with a fucking God. electronic mouth, and they got a singer backstage. Ozzy's been dead for 16 years. You're out of your mind. He keeps kicking out. Nah, man. He's he's, he's like that. Uh, tracks ready. He's keeping him alive. He said. Nah, two and, nope. a, half, two and a half count. Every he's time. like Doctor, he's like Doctor Fibes. They got the juice in him. They put him on stage, and Sharon collects all the money. It's, uh, he's an unbelievable. So, no one could argue. I mean, so their culture is different than ours. They're digital. I get it, but like if you if you get into corn, then get into the thing that corn. You know the bands that 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 rose up after Corn, like like I don't, I don't. And then they find hardcore, and uh, this is where we're getting to, where they're trying to find a place for their start to exist in the hardcore timeline. And really, Corn's existence in hardcore was only in the early '90s, where and this is what I would say is hardcore is the lowest bar to play. It's a fucking stage and a mic, and so many people's careers started just playing hardcore shows. Now. Something that happened in a podcast is about to come out that I'll just repeat because it sounds so cool. He said, Hardcore won because the guy from Scream became one of the biggest rock musicians in the history of the world. Uh, and that look at, listen, me up. Pat, Pat Smear from The Germs played at Biden's inauguration. It's, it's, we have one. But the difference is, is they don't understand our culture, so they try to put their pieces in. And the problem is, is it's generational. You know, like um, you remember this, both of you remember the big pant, the most super giant pant, vegan Krishna, whatever you want to call them, and I, and they had no fucking bearing on anything that wasn't X V X X X X. And they knew nothing. And their fucking their culture disappeared in two and a half, three years. By the time Earth Crisis really started changing the way they sounded at the end of the 90s, every one of them broke edge, got a normal life. And, 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 and you guys have been around longer than I have. There was just a different wavelength. Like, it, we're probably in the wrong part of the pie chart 
for how long we've all collectively have been involved in the punk hardcore subculture. So many people pass by, jump in, buy the shirts, buy the records, then they go ahead and they buy in. I mean, like that term, no, son, I didn't sell out, I bought in. They buy in, they become some boring-ass regular human, and then they tell their fucking kids, why well, was at a punk rock show? And it's like, no, bitch, you were at some fucking show at a barricade when Earth Crisis was sounding new metal. And that's their and that's their that's their glory days. That's their salad days. And it takes someone who can grasp the culture and work with it, live with it, and learn from it and grow with it that stays in for decades. I, I, I question all the time, like but I know in my heart that without my immersion in a hardcore culture, how much different my life would be. And I think because so many people from hardcore now in the younger stages Bro, they're coming from much more affluent, well-off backgrounds than probably ever before and higher numbers. So a lot of this is just like, ah, this is something I'm into, but I'm also into. And this is the same thing that happened with Straight Edge at a time. I'm Straight Edge, but it's cool if you're not. And you're like, oh, I like some hardcore bands, but I also like this. The difference is, is the same device, whether it's Spotify or Apple Music, whatever it is, their player, that's deciding what the next thing they're going to listen to. YouTube does the same thing with the algorithm. Again, the algorithm is designed to show people what they want. So like that reunion show where Have Heart had 10,000 people, 9,900 and – no, I won't say 9,900. 9,500 were not hardcore people. They were people who when Bridge Nine started releasing different kind of music and when Spotify came out, those people found out about uh, Have Heart. I know because I was looking at social media and I'm like, oh, I see some of my friends, but these are – Hardcore people that would be any big show. There's the last Bane show. And then there was thousands of people that would come across to this hardcore feed. And you're like, this is like Joe Schmo who's got his girlfriend on his shoulders to watch Have Heart. Like, that's like rock shit. That's not hardcore shit. And so the thing that we have to understand is the people that are investing money and time into our culture now are just passing by digitally. So it also, again, goes back to I don't give a fuck their opinion because unless they've got stake and claim, you know, blood, sweat, and tears in this, then it's like, hey, man, thank you for showing up. Thank you for supporting bands. Thank you for buying some shirts. And I look forward to your middle life where you get on some form of internet and talk about your glory days of going to two years of hardcore shows. Bunch of nobody suckers. It's not nobody, but you know. You know, Rich, you're trolling now. Nah, I don't troll. I don't troll. I just don't like gas keeping or gate lighting or none of that stuff. It's not right. So... You know, I hate these terms, yo. Like, these new terms are so stupid. Well, we already got words for everything you're saying. Stop it. So language. And again, read read, read 1984, man. I, I can't believe how true it is. I'm not going to read 1984. I don't read. I'm a hardcore guy. <laughs> <laughs> Audible.com. I'll send it to you free. Reading does give me a headache, though. I can't, like, concentrate. When I'm reading, I'm, like, the words, I'm saying the words in my head, but then I'm also thinking about three other things. You know what I mean? It just never – it's hard, man. <laughs> Gee. Yo. Could you imagine mm. sitting there at Repo mm -hmm. and everything around you mm. could be accessed by a button remotely all the time spent in a record store selling <sighs> – and that moment where you were like Joe McHenry's old head, who he would constantly punish. I, he never punished me. Joe, McHenry was... <laughs> yeah, the move was, Richie, me and McHenry would go flyer. And McHenry would make a beeline for G. And I would <laughs> flyers 
And sometimes I would go get a slice because Joe would keep talking. I'm like, I got to keep it moving, Joe. I got to go. <laughs> Yo, McHendry got questions. You need some answers. OG put him on and put him on. He's the expert. I love McHenry. He's the best, for real. <laughs> but and we still, to this day, do a modern day version of that. We're, we're forever sending links to each other. Like, you hear this fucking band? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, who can fucking score a band before the next one? You know what I mean? But So imagine your world and the time you put in as a record store employee. Mm-hmm. Think about now anything and like not everything in your store. The entire city of Philadelphia couldn't encompass the amount of digital music that's available now at a click of a button. Put that in perspective. It, it's crazy because I – so before I worked at Repo, I worked at Tower um, on, on South Street. And Which I – Signing, by the way. Say it again? Corn signed posters. Yeah, for, they sure did. And quite a few of our friends when they played with Sugar Ray and the yeah. – that band Lords of Brooklyn? Yeah. That was like – and no one was there. <laughs> <laughs> um. I happened to work during the years of all these uh, uh, this transitional stages of things. So I worked there during the transition from like VHS to Laserdisc to uh, DVD. I worked there from, you know, the transition from cassette, which was fucking huge. I, I don't know if some younger people realize how dominant a format cassettes were at the time. Um, into CDs. So I, I worked through all these different things. And I remember specifically, I was still a tower when um, online music, Napster and that kind of stuff started happening. And I would see the panic of tower corporate because they knew it was moving on to something that they didn't have a grasp on. And I mean, Long story short, that's why Tower went out of business because they couldn't adapt. Um, Repo was a little bit different because it's it, you're dealing with a small store that that deals in used products and vinyl. Tower didn't really touch vinyl for a period of, for a long time. Um, vinyl is what kept those little stores like Repo going through all that because there's always that collector element that wants to listen to or at very least purchase and and own vinyl and that's what kept them going man and not for nothing i think it's what's still keeping them going hey side note yeah r.i.p jack oh my god it broke my heart sorry just before i forget my adhd I haven't seen I hadn't seen Jack in, in in years, you know. And I I was telling you I was I go down to South Street every couple of weeks with my daughter because she collects certain comics, and every two three weeks a new new comic that she's into will come out. So we'll go down to that um, comic store that's on South Street, and sometimes if I'm in the mood we'll go fuck around I'll, I'll stop and repo and whatever and one the last time we were down there it entered my head to go into noise pollution because I have not been in there for years and I'm on a kick again of buying vi- certain vinyl stuff so I was like ah maybe I'll fucking go down the noise pollution but I didn't feel like walking from 7th to 4th street and I certainly was not going to repark so we just split and uh, you know I it broke my heart when I heard that Jack was a good fucking dude 
when you when you think of South Street and records, it's so synonymous with like a emerging way that people interacted with each other. Like even if everyone didn't fuck with each other, you knew who was who. Like you knew if you went to Second and Lombard where the Goss hung out, you're getting your docs taken because the skinheads were sitting right there. And you knew all the different people that were like living around that area. And and I said this to some kid at one point South Street was the closest thing to like that weird Dave Chappelle skit, like if the internet was like a mall, only it was like the social media. Like you went down South Street and linked with everybody. Yeah. You linked up, you smashed people out in the weird side lot, you went and got pizza. You know, there's so many things that South Street represented. And now it's all click of a button. So none of this real life thing ever has to happen. And I think that's the scariest thing for me is realizing that all the things that we took and we still hold dear is like getting so we're like we're might as well be just talking about horse and buggy shit now. I, I just think that we, we were touching on it a, a little bit ago um, with the easy uh, accessibility. I think that all these little important aspects are now dated and not relevant anymore. And when you combine all these little things like flyers. Um, album art, um, you know, whatever the fuck, all these little things that are, that are almost non-exist at this point, when you combine all that stuff, it becomes a big thing. And that's the sort of thing that changes cultures. I think because all these little aspects are now missing, it has become a big thing that has in turn changed the way things are for better or for worse. Nah. There's, well, there's no such thing as like tape trading anymore. There's no such thing as like, you know, the closest thing is what me and McHenry do. You fucking send, I, Joe, I sent you a, 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 a link I found to Starkweather demo from 90 that happens to be on YouTube. Like that's the closest thing anymore. You know what I mean? Richie. Yo, yo, yo. Now, you know, without, to me, like I said, you know, I, I answer this question immediately. To me, without the effort, it's a lesser thing. There's, you feel less of a connection. Like, there's no way that I can believe that someone that got into hardcore through their algorithm on whatever could be as in tuned and feel as part of the scene as someone who authentically got into it from a human being telling them something or say, sit in my car and listen to this or telling them, inviting them to a show. Then you, then there's just no matter what time you live in to me, that's a connection that the human will bond with stronger and it'll feel more related to, and as almost as if he knows a secret, he or she knows a secret. And the other way is, Anybody could do it, you know. It just—it doesn't. It almost—it doesn't matter. Not not saying that you can't get into it and love the thing, but it's just different, you know. It's a different. Well, this way. this thing you just said segues into something we should also bring up: the king of of self anointed king of subculture, James K. Goes ahead and admonishes JJ, and we'll get into that, but then gets caught red-handed saying to Section Hate in an Instagram comment, incredible. 
And then when some people called them to the floor to be like, yo, you just trashed the entire New York hardcore show. And here you are jockeying for position with this. He couldn't even handle the criticism and formulate a response. He deleted his entire life, which was that Instagram thing. Cunt. Well, so, you know, James K is a product of exactly what you just said. Someone who has infinite access to all history of hardcore that's available through the click. Now, he doesn't know everything because he wasn't there. And it's third hand. But his mind, the same way we talk about a lot of these folks who are younger, they there was a moment in the end of the 90s when the internet started popping out. And it turned into the 2000s with the posse number stuff where we would run into some fucking kid, because I still went to a lot of posse bands. There were a lot of bands I really liked to see. And there'd be some, like, 20-year-old kid my age being like, Alone in the Crowd's the greatest band ever happened to Hardcore. And you're like, motherfucker, they played one show. Well, they're the greatest. And you're like, that's an, it's a stupid position. But the internet created a sense of knowledge, purpose, placement, and, like, this infallibility. Well, I read it on the internet, so it has to be true. And because I know this, that puts me in a different position. And... You know, uh, much love to Adam from, uh, fuck, I can't believe I've been on his podcast so many times. Oh, Ill Street News podcast. That kid was had a health issue. He never stopped loving hardcore. He owns more physical CDs than any human I know. He's an OG downloader of old shit, but not like Alone in the Crowd and the Secret Void record, but like just shit. And he still has a foot in both worlds. But what I found was, there isn't people like Adam who are buying CDs, but also still downloading. These kids downloaded. It's kind of like the Neo thing again. They downloaded, they absorbed it, and they moved on. To the point where, in that whole, you know, image of G being at a record store now being a click, James K showed up, clicked on the internet, and believed that he knew more about hardcore than everybody. And that's just, and that's like the fall of it. It's like. Look, man, there's always going to be someone like, you know, whether it's Mike Gitter or any of these people who wrote books and did amazing fanzines from the 80s. You know, maybe Al from Suburban Voice, Al Quint, might have the longest trek alongside um, Tesco and the touch and go stuff far as like releasing like journalism and zines on hardcore punk. But also those guys got micro focus in their own world and they probably completely skipped over. A lot of the 90s stuff like Fury of Five and Crutch and E-Town. So even someone who has been so long in the tooth of being a journalist and a zine person and writing articles about hardcore, they also get micro-focused. I don't know if that ties in with what you're saying, but that's where my take is at on that. No, I know what you mean. But, yo, who's this James K. kid? Um, do you know him personally? Yes, I, I know him in real life. What kind of person? Is there a chance we could I could see him and stomp his head open, or is that just never going to happen? I would say that I would say that if he doesn't come back on Instagram, he is going to formulate something. I saw a little bit of weird. I saw a little bit of weird stuff with him with the JJ thing, and I'd like to talk about the JJ thing if you guys are good with it. Yeah, I want to ask you a question about that. Yeah. What like you know? Okay, so I'm seeing because you know I was at the event, you were at the event, and Afterwards, I'm seeing like, oh, this event was anti-BLM, and they're basing it off something John Joseph said. I think that's what they're basing so, it off of. So, so what, what happened did he is, say? Is there any so, credibility to that? There's there's a credibility to it, but it's 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 
out of sync chronologically. The show, as you know, I mean, your table was literally 10 feet from the BLM table. And you couldn't walk to the main area of the merch without seeing the BLM stuff all over and being handed. And the people handing the BLM merch were absolutely affable, super polite. Super cool, yeah. Yeah, super polite and, like, you know, like, inquisitive and, oh, where are you from? Like, the one's like, oh, where are you from? Philadelphia. And they said, oh, you're going to start, you know, things, you know, like, literally, was like, oh, I think more events will happen down there. I'm like, ah, eventually. It was, like, small talk. The one kid with them was stage diving for everybody going nuts. Oh, that was the one kid. And so the kid was so into this. And there's, dude, there's nothing, you know what, like, there's, it's just like seeing a dog wag his tail and be happy. Or, like, a little kid hit a home run. There's nothing cooler than seeing someone constantly stage dive constantly just be in the vibe of the moment and it puts you especially as you get older like like me i don't want to stage dive and land and break my fucking neck on asphalt in new york city and have to drive all the way home (laughs) you know so like watching this kid like he's a lot like chris link from cruel hand in this article that kid will pull off 150 stage dives in a single day it's incredible but so what happened is is when james k started challenging jj he was doing it via DM. And then when the right moment popped up where JJ said some shit that absolutely had nothing to do with the show in the real time, it was screenshotted and posted. And then again, we're back to the 1984. Well, what because, was it exactly? Do you know? Because I'm, so I'm let, clueless. I'll explain it to you in a second. Okay. So because the screenshot came... Hours after the event, this is the 1984 all over. The event now longer is good because someone said something later, and that's the problem. So what JJ said, which is erroneous and not an argument that anyone should have because it's kind of stupid, in the sense that why compare? There's no reason to compare. That's my personal opinion. There's no reason to fucking compare because it takes away from the worth and value that the show was. And it takes away the hard work that Cuz and all them guys did to bring the show to pull in some stupid argument. But John goes that route because he's used to speaking for himself. And I don't think John had the intention of communicating. And this is something that's always taken out of context is that James K knows John better than people may assume. James worked for a T-shirt and record label that John was involved in business with. So JJ used to kind of young boy James K. Kind of punked him out a bunch and broke his balls. Ever since the king of subculture kind of got his grasp and he does cool t-shirts and James is honestly not a bad person to talk to. I think he's gotten a little too full of himself but I know he's going through still the grief and loss of Riley Gale. So I think he's a little off-center. I think he's another person that really needs hardcore and hasn't been around. So he got super sheltered into this internet kind of like megalomania. But that being said, I think there's some get back. I think there's some revenge. I think there's some, I got you. You said something that I know people won't like, but you don't see all the other stuff. He didn't print all the screenshots of everything John said. And so what John was saying was, what is the difference between us being at a park in open air when this, when the city allows it and the tens of thousands of people that march in New York? And in many ways, to me, it's an apples and oranges argument. Because if there's injustice, people are supposed to be out in the streets. And John, you know, he's got songs like Street Justice. He has these songs, 
he should understand that people are going to be out in the fucking streets regardless. Well, I mean, was he condemning people being out in the streets, or was he just saying? No, he was saying is if he didn't complain about the riots, and he was calling them riots, not protests, which is another, you know, and it's an age perspective. Some people. I mean, both did happen. No, there were riots and there were protests. There was so the difference is, is depending upon your perspective, it's it's the blue and red. It's the fucking programming. If you're blue, you're going to call them protests. If you're red and you're Blue Lives Matter and all this fucking nonsense, you're only able to call them riots. Well, see, I'm blue, and I called the protests protests and the riots riots, and I was there for the protests, and I was there for the riots. So, so the like, what is the problem with just calling something what it is? There's, there is a problem when you're comparing something good where it gets political because then what happens is everyone forgets the good. And immediately it's politically out of sync with what is the majority, which goes back to the two minutes hate. Then the entire event is disparaged and seen through a negative lens. So it's no longer a community that came together, multitude of races and all I, and all these greatness. And it is immediately blanketed with JJ's Instagram DM where you only see JJ's shot. You don't see James K, whether he was baiting him and all this other stuff. Now, the argument can be made. That doesn't matter what James K said, but someone should listen and understand. James K got kind of punked out by JJ. Not hey, I'll fuck you up, but JJ could break some balls, and he was kind of like the errand boy and shop hand. So there was some there was some stuff between them guys, and I think as as that kid grows in his Instagram to feel empowered to attack. People in his culture, and the thing is, is James K knows a lot about hardcore before all this shit. But I think his Instagram and that internet connection, and like him seeing the likes and the thousands, he felt powerful enough to challenge the might of JJ. Where it's like, really, James, you live in New York City. Catch him in Lower East Side if you're so New York hardcore. Watch what happens. John will give you the smack, but instead, there's no power in that. So he gets him on the internet. And what really shocked didn't shock me, but really paused me to reconsider really being upset about anything that John said was that James K said, we need to take his voice away. And so that to me seems like a mode modus operandi to disparage JJ. And the result was that people no longer look at the event as good. They look at it as a maggot show. They look at it as JJ is an anti-vaxxer, anti-masker. And then a few people have cited the BNB stuff that they wrote on the internet before but it's sad to see the way that people communicate in the internet now is the minute that something bad happens, they eliminate all the potential that anything good could come out of it. And they immediately label it with something that is agreeable enough for them to be able to attack. So it's like, how much can I attack? Oh, I have something to attack? Cool, fuck this. This event sucks. Everyone's assholes. This is the fucking worst shit. You guys are all, I hope you all get COVID and die. Whoa, 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 whoa. You were worried that people would get COVID. You were concerned about the spread, but then you want everybody to die of COVID. And that thing is really even actually concerned about that. I find it hard to believe. It's, like it's, it's not about that. It's just about it's again the two minutes hate. People yeah. get out of their natural state and attack aggressively because it's socially politically acceptable to say this to someone, and that's they they created this insane algorithm, and they completely created arguments like. I'm sorry, if you got an anime face or some joke-ass fucking Instagram or you got a Twitter face that has zero followers, you're not real. You could be a fucking bot, and that's what people don't understand. 
this whole thing is social engineering, but my take, and you guys can argue and say otherwise, gee, I know you have a little bit of thoughts on this. I'm sorry for talking long here, but my take is that James, James K had a personal gripe and has little been little needling at, at JJ. And he had his moment like the matador where he goes in for the kill to like, yeah, cool. You, you now have people that, you know, James K was around when the Cro-Mags at that, at that stage, re-released the age of Carl record through Shogun. He was around printing. He was physically printing fucking Cro-Mag shirts. Only years later, be like, this guy's a piece of shit and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. What's wrong Little with you? Little Aaron boy. Well, that's a- my shirt. Shut up, boy. So then as we go to the LA show, the minute he's criticized, he can't take the same level of heat he's so willing to put on people. And that's my- Check it out. I just quickly looked up just briefly what John Joseph said. Yes, he did compare. I guess it would be called a comparison. He also mentioned a 420 rally in Washington Square Park. He mentioned that. So I, I don't see it as insulting at all. He just mentioned three different events that are totally different from each other where masks weren't an issue. So I saw a lot of people saying he insulted and belittled the BLM movement. I didn't take it as that by looking at what he just said now. Gee, remember we were talking about this? Mm-hmm. This is a terror gimmick. Mm-hmm. The minute that Paul said George Floyd, mm-hmm. it didn't matter where he was going with it. It was already offensive. How dare and, he say George Floyd? And so that's the situation that we're dealing with. There's a lack of communication and there's like an immediate response reaction programmed where if someone says something like this, unless the person listening believes that the racial and social makeup of the person saying it is allowed to say it, they're saying, no, you're not allowed to say it, you're not allowed to bring it up, and you're wrong and bad. And so I don't know how to fix that because I know it's all social programming, and it was created specifically to have this level of division. And to go further, and you can guys all call me fucking crazy on this one. I was sitting in my house in 2011 into 2012 planning This Is Hardcore at its biggest level at the first This Is Hardcore Electric Factory. I had just seen Occupy Wall Street in Philadelphia outside of my Freemasons Lodge. We went down there and spoke to people. Three months later, no one talked about Occupy Wall Street because every TV was focused on George Zimmerman. And I truly believe that at any time where the government and the 1% is ever under fire from all all people, all races, all backgrounds that are not the 1%, that the mass media, which is completely owned, will put any kind of thing into the major feed. Both, I mean, like it's so it's so obvious. It's I'm so sorry, obvious. Joe. You sound like a Trumper now, man. Sorry. I mean, maybe maybe. The, the Trumpers few, hate the media too, man, Mr. Mega. Yeah, but they also, but then they also, I mean, we all hate media that that doesn't that doesn't fit along our own ideologies, and I think that's because we all want to feel right, and we don't want to read something that says something that doesn't stand with our values. But if we're hardcore punks and we're and we're people that like to think, I want my values checked, and I want to grow, and I want to understand. And I, and I want, if I don't understand something, to have a better perspective. Um, you know, um, I have people close to me that are queer. And my 
thinking on the election had no bearing on what they were thinking. And I was exposed to the ideology that, you know, queer folks all over this country were afraid of what would happen if Trump got four more years. And unless I took the time to understand that, I never would have seen that perspective because, you know, I'm a 40-year-old cis white male construction worker. There's not really that kind of conversation being had. And so sometimes these news stories are made to create reactions or to support, but I don't think any of it's good because it's so one-sided that you're only going to value that source and you're not going to see what the other side has or vice via this. Or here's a better one. No one looks to what the fucking citation of information comes from. Sorry, G. <laughs> Leave it in your hands, G. Sorry. <laughs> and here you go, hot potato. <laughs> what? Um, uh, I feel like for me, the the John thing was very simple. I feel like he felt like he was being attacked and did a rant. Um, a guy who is has the background that he has and is pushing 60 years old um, at times may not pick and choose his wording of certain things properly. I don't believe that his intent was to down the BLM movement or anything. I think that he was he felt like he was on the defensive. And this is from my perspective where I barely paid attention to it. I did and I didn't. Yeah, I, sk- I skimmed it, looked and said, uh, I know both parties and I think there's more personal shit than people understand. I, I think that he is someone who I think the three of us are guilty of at times if you feel a certain way, you'll lash out. Sometimes I did in that, <laughs> Right. It's sometimes in that lashing out, you may not think through the way you're communicating something on the same level as when you're in a rational headspace. And I feel like not knowing John and not knowing how he was feeling, I feel like he may have been in that sort of headspace where he felt like he needed to lash back. Um, was the wording uh, okay? I mean, I guess that depends on your thought process. I personally wouldn't say I was offended by it, but I personally would not have worded it that way either. Here's, you know what? Here's, I, I feel like here's his like, actual statement. I think it was important if people are listening to protect JJ because he made a statement. Of course, the media tried to put the spin on the show, so people said it wasn't a protest, it was B- Band's plan. Comparing it back to BLM is saying, so here's my rebuttal. When I initially approached Cuz to set up a show, this is exactly what was discussed. First and foremost, people need some music. Let's put a free show on for them to get to getting back to life that we know. Then the conversation really went to taking a stand against all the bullshit. Draconian lockdowns, people's small business being destroyed by politicians who don't even follow their own rules. In fact, they're total hypocrites. How many of our friends and family lost everything, committed suicide, relapsed into drugs, alcohol, or did and died? This is a pushback against government overstepping its reach, telling people they can't gather in public, church, or mosque 
Temple, wherever they did, uh, while they did whatever they wanted. Cuomo passed a bill requiring a passport for your medical history and certain businesses, which will become more of a thing guaranteed. Now we have a governor caught several times not following his own guidelines who killed 10,000 seniors in nursing home while being a fucking pig to women around him, and a mayor who took $800 million in taxpayers for the homeless, and him and his wife gave money to their friends' charities. And I'm told there's an investigation into it. So you may not have a dog in this fight or care, but pay attention or have no problem with what's happening right now. But this was what was said on the stage or show. As musicians, we did our job. We spoke about it. We rallied. We protest. We gigged. Unlike other bands who sold out to the bullshit. While grading for greedy politicians and corrupted industries, government organizations bought and paid for to tell them what they can and can't do. It was about bringing people together, but of course the media did its job and put a spin on it to get clicks. All in all, it was an amazing day, and those who didn't want to come didn't. Those who did, did, and I'm deading this issue. And I think that you're exactly right, G. I think that he just is like an older dude who was kind of like maybe screaming into his phone, like doing the voice. That, it read like a voice to text. And I've been in, I've been there. So it's not that I don't get it. I absolutely do. But if we're specifically talking about the mention of BLM, um, I, again, I was not personally offended by it, but I don't know if I would have gone down that road personally. Well, I don't think he said BLM. I think he just mentioned the riots. Well, it's always that's the context, yeah. and then it's pulled in, well, I, yeah. it's pulled in by 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 James K. because now he has a weapon to wield yeah. against somebody who he has some problems with. And I feel like, oh, gee, like it doesn't offend me, but I wouldn't have worded it at like John Joseph did. But then again, the only reason I wouldn't have worded it like that is because I know how easily this group of people would twist it. Well, I maybe respect to John Joseph for not giving a fuck because I probably wouldn't have worded it like him. I wouldn't have mentioned the riots or the protest or BLM at all. You know, I just wouldn't have. But I, I didn't find anything offensive in the way he put it. I'm hard-pressed to find anything offensive, really. I mean, something may be, like, eye-rolling or whatever you want to say, but I don't really get offended super easily. But I I hear what you're saying about why it, it, it may not have been mentioned, but I think that the mistake lies in comparing the two things. The bottom line with for me is that the show you guys did, it was a show. You can come. You can, you don't have to come. This is what we're doing. We feel like it's safe. We're going to take whatever precautions we need to take and this, that, and the other thing. That's the bottom line with it. When you start to compare it to major uh, – societal movements like the, the the protests that went on over the summer that's where it gets a little bit murky in some people's minds I think because it's almost like just like mentioning comparing the two is downplaying the importance of what those events over the summer were um, I, I'm not saying I agree with that or don't I don't take what John said that seriously. I think again, I think it was a rant and a, and a defensive rant. Yeah. And, and if pe- you, if he only mentioned the riots to, and compared only that to the show, 
I would think there'd be more of a case for people feeling that way. Mm-hmm. But he also mentioned other non-important events like a weed rally, a DMX uh, memorial. Mm-hmm. I think he was just kind of people were getting on him so hard about no mask that he just decided to remind people about all types of different get togethers in the name yeah. of all different things. Again, and that uh, is an argument that I would say would hold up in a court case. If, yeah. If again, just strictly uh, talking about masks. Again, a defensive stance yeah. and understandable and a defensive stance that uh, sort of switches it and goes on the offensive, at least in his mind. Yeah. Well, that's uh, uh that's a contrast, though. In his mind, he's a 60-year-old man who's just still working and dealing with social media to kind of, like, harness it for his career. Where these young folks look at one word, and then they go on the attack. And, and that's where... People not aware of his, like, his charitable... They don't care. The they decade. care about... They care so much about words, and they care <laughs> so... They just care. They care so much. They care. Do they care that much that they would they would try to stop a man that feeds the homeless for? They do. You know, the minute at, you at, do one thing, you're bad. Again, to, going back to the Paulie thing. Look, Paulie was vocal for months against Trump. That that uh, Proud Boys thing. He went on a full attack against those motherfuckers for months. But he said yeah. something that somebody I don't think these found. people do their homework at all, too. Like it's that. not about that. You're, you see, you're we're looking at this. You guys are looking at this with context. Context is gone. It's totally not. It's it's for some. Like, for some, it's gone. For me, it's it's not. But see, the thing is, is we're not the ones. I wouldn't. I wouldn't give I a. I am fuck. the one motherfucker. I am I the. Wouldn't, one. I wouldn't give a fuck. <laughs> I don't care. I really like John. It's like. You know what? Uh, in that movie, line in Goodfellas, ah, you know he says everything. You know he's always talking. You know, like, yeah, he's like, you know, he's like, oh, what's up with Tommy? Yeah, you know, Tommy, he talks so much. Who knows what he says? John is constantly creating content and riding bikes and talking to himself and engaged in all this different shit on the internet. That it's impossible. Like he's not a one person. And so we're looking at this with context. I'm telling you, the way these younger folks act, the minute they have one fucking arrow to pull out of their thing that you said they're gonna throw i mean it still happens with me with the fire comment and everything that i said in that stupid thing i don't even agree with it's me being a fucking idiot but literally it will still come back the minute they have one thing to throw at you and say you are a bad person you are wrong no one should like you your family should die you should be ashamed of yourself they're gonna do it because they live in a fucking window in a fucking device and they're not real fucking people and nothing not all of them right there are a lot of young cats that do look at things with context would you say absolutely And, and i'm telling you that's why they all sit back and stay quiet because they just don't give a fuck because they they it's like it's like where we're dissecting this psychologically and culturally and they're like oh yeah that's this fucking asshole that I've seen one time ever at a show, and they show up to buy a T-shirt and walk out. The, the the majority of the people that buy the ticket, that support that this is hardcore, the East Coast tsunamis, that listen to our podcast, that love seeing hardcore grow, do not fuck with these people. That's and they right. have, and then what they do is because we're fucking dumb. They know these people and they mute them. They mute all their shit. They don't see their stories. They don't see their fucking tweets. And to them, it's a different world. Like, when I blocked all the people muted, I was kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't see anybody complain about L.A. And a friend was like, oh, you should see it. I said, I haven't seen it. Maybe I blocked and muted all the people that talk shit. And that's the truth. Once you block and mute all these idiots 
whose opinions you don't care for, your internet experience is a little different. But I, I have to say, we can't look at this and say, what about John's this? They don't care. It's a word. The minute he said something, they're going to pull it so he's bad. And then everything that he ever did is wrong because he said that one thing. And then if they can look at you and you're a friend and you're like, oh, you like one Chromax song? Well, you know what this guy said. He said this. And then you shouldn't even like this. You're such a bad person. They're looking to fucking attack constantly. And it's the same thing I've been saying. 1984, the fucking two in its hate. This is wrong. This is against what we feel. And if you're against, if you're like that, then you're not with us. That's you know how we're going to beat them? By creating amazing content. Nope. nope. Internet. Three but... minutes of hate. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we beat two minutes of hate. Well, I think we're at two minutes. We're, we're at two hours. We're at 67 minutes of hate. Right. <laughs> Yo, let's go to the next LA show, the next LA pop up show. Let's go. You guys down? I was going to go on Saturday. They kept the crew because we did so well. I thought we were getting laid off Wednesday. And when they said, we're keeping you to Saturday, I was like, my own. Now I can't play. I want to set off explosives. I want to break windows. I want to go crazy. Dude. I love that I kind of get stuff. shot with a rubber bullet, but I'm definitely trying to hang out with that fat dude and, and the fucking balloon. <laughs> if I get shot with anything, I'm going to be so upset. I don't, yeah, I don't want to get shot. Could you see us being like a shitty air flight going home when we got like rubber bullet? Fucking uh. I would be so psyched and so animalistic, and as soon as that first rubber bullet, I'd walk away with my yeah. head down. I'd be yeah, so yeah, yeah. Right. Have you ever Have you ever been hit by a cop? Are you kidding? No, no. I got, they used to hit us across the back of the leg with a nightstick. Every once in a while, they would spray paint us if they caught us writing shit on the L. <laughs> but like, there's nothing worse than having to walk <laughs> if you've been smacked in the back of the leg with a nightstick. Oh. <sighs> Like, when I think of the rubber bullet, I literally think about us getting on the fucking plane and not be able to sit right because the fucking this is like... Just stand in the aisle. <laughs> probably hit us in a coolie, too. We got a big swollen coolie. We can't sit down. Right. You got to stand in the aisle, then you get arrested by the TSA. But, that, but that, that's, the be- that's the beauty of it, is that this stuff's going to... like it, like um. Could there be an equivalent to that in Philly? No. Damn. There's, there's the, the massive site, that ravine, obviously, culturally, that thing's super important. I'm not even going to ravine. It's like the L.A. River. The fact that they had that site, I mean, it made it so easy to set up. And then for hours, no one even really knew it existed. And then when they're like, fuck. I mean, there's so much crazy shit that happens there. I mean, look at all the hood movies and all the Cholo movies. Like, mm-hmm. every movie has a piece of that. I mean. It's iconic, but it allows that. Where in Philadelphia, everything is so condensed that it just wouldn't be plausible. I mean, the only thing that would happen would be such a truncated level. Like, lately, there's been a string of shootings happening all night, illegal hotspots in North and, like, West Philly and deep into Nicetown. But we don't have the space. Like, the size of that area is insane. Like, the 50,000 people under 95 at FDR... The problem is, is the cops have a straight road right to the place. Like, those cops had a mount, look, and then there's a video where they had to walk down. Like, by the time they walked down, most people were out of there. Like, no one got pinched. And you know that half those cops are like, fuck that. I'm not going down there. What are they going to do? This is, this is, I'd be like, are you kidding me? This is, the, this is the gimmick, ready? Like, hey, disperse. Yes, yeah, on, on the bullhorn. Disperse immediately. Disperse immediately. We got 1984 again. We got in a fight outside of the manball region with Blood for Blood in D.C. And the fight went outside 
And these cops pull up, and I'm like, oh, fuck, here we go. And they put this fucking siren on that was so loud and piercing. I I literally would have done it. And it was like almost like the clockwork horns with reaction. Like, I'll do anything to get the fuck away from this noise. Oh, yeah, that's a sound weapon. Yeah, they should have just fucking did that. The idea that they would shoot rubber bullets, it's like, so where's the fucking, where, what's the causality of that? What happens if they fucking shoot somebody in the fucking eye? Nothing. It's just like, it, it's so, it's such a stupid path. Like, hey, you're doing something wrong. I may shoot you in the eye with a rubber bullet for it. <laughs> but, yo, props to all of those dudes, because I loved what I saw. But, yo, guy, I got I to gotta eat something. I got to wake up early go to fucking I got to give you a sign off. Let me know what Richie's been doing lately. Let me know what's up. You're not getting off without Same that. stuff. Just, I was in the studio this weekend. Z9 Project in full effect. Go get a late pass. I'm just checking people out, hanging out, checking checking in, making sure everybody's all right. You know how we do. And, we uh, I got some stuff for the uh, podcast, couple couple interviews coming up. Post America, uh, last one was a fucking tribute. It was so fucking amazing. Yeah. Oh, you liked it? Good, thanks. Loved it. Bob Wilson gave me the full, dude, this was fucking epic. <laughs> oh, Bob Wilson is very quiet during these times. Speak up, Bob. A friend to everyone's a friend to no one. He's the next generation. He's the man of the people. Leave him alone. All right, I'm going to take your word for it, but I'm not giving him the love. <laughs> All right, fellas, yo, I always love talking to you guys. Oh, gee, what do you got going on? Tell us something, please. Nothing, oh, oh, by the way, your last Just, episode, I loved it. Last episode was unreal. Well, thank you. So uh, nothing. We record a podcast whenever we feel like it. Uh, I'm playing Fortnite with the kids. That's all I'm fucking doing, man. My man. Yeah. You want to go, uh, go eat a villa Sunday with Steve? Steve? Who's Steve? Steve? Please die, Steve. Oh, really? Birthday. Birthday. I'll put your oh, name in. shit. Steve Lyons. Birthday. Yeah. Fuck, what time? I gotta look. I was on the, it's on the mass text. I've been meaning to hit you. You want to go to the villa again? I don't know if I can. I gotta... Uh, weekends are weird at the shop because Tony's yeah. off. And well, I don't like the girls being there. Alright, we'll, we'll get a weekday going. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So... Tony. So... so <laughs> Broad Street, are you guys going to start doing some of the Patreon stuff, or are you guys going to leave that on Patreon? Vinny has a Patreon for his stuff. He's doing the boxing podcast, and he's doing extra music content stuff. Um, he told me some of the things that they're in the process of doing that I don't know if it's my place to say right now, but super fucking cool ideas. Um, I, the, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I, I, If he wants us to, we will. I don't know. I'm not sure. Well, that but, last episode fucking killed regardless. Thank you. I'm glad that uh, we got a lot of really positive feedback on it. I thought it was kind of whatever, but I guess it wasn't. I don't know. No, it came off good because people were fiending anyway. But yeah. No, it was real good. And now I'm excited to hear all about cryptocurrency. Hell yeah. Can't wait. You guys ended on the <laughs> cryptocurrency note, and I think that's going to come up in the next episode. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Pablo's, Pablo's gonna school us all with that, so I'm yeah. looking forward to that. <laughs> I'm sure hey, that Rich, go well. You know what we're doing? What? We're bringing hardcore back. Back. back you want to know why? What do you mean? Reverb, club reverb. Oh yeah, you talking to them? We got some shows. Beautiful, beautiful. Just say I can't say names of bands, but I can say the last Sunday in June. It's gonna be a banger. Right, you know I'll be there chilling, chilling, baby. Um, now this is awesome. I really appreciate the conversation, and you guys are fucking awesome. 
Oh, we, we like you too, Joe. Even though you're so, <laughs> you went out of your way to say how much smarter you are than all of us in the beginning of the episode. Yeah, I'm, yeah, uh, I'm a Dungeons and Dragons nerd. I became a gifted, gifted student and all that. Fucking high school dropout. <laughs> yeah, oh. I scored a 325 on my PSATs. I got and you know what? Maybe next next time we do this, we will get a, a little system to it. But not that we need one, but whatever you want to do. I think, that, I think that this conversation kind of crossed all the things we were looking to talk about. Yeah, and I, I always feel like it, it'll probably happen anyway, but if we wanted to get a little more focused, we could. I felt I felt mad focused. I'm sorry you didn't, Rachi. No, no, you know, you don't. You don't. <laughs> I think the fact that we went into this with zero game plan, was it, it was pretty impressive. We knew because we all talked to each other. We knew where we were going to go. Right. Well, I got D-A-H-D, so I get a little confused. But otherwise, it was pretty good. All right, guys. It was awesome. And uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you. Talk to you. All right. See you later, fellas. Have a good night. Peace. Later. So if you're still listening, I really appreciate this. I didn't even want to put on the front end a lot of the stuff I've been saying on all our episodes. But the new plant job's over. I'm hustling hard to catch up on some Patreon stuff. I got so much stuff backlogged, but I mean, there's days I'm getting home and barely enough time to put this together just so it comes out on Friday. But the project's over. I got way more time. I got a whole weekend to start uploading. And I hope those who have been patronizing and supporting understand that I really appreciate you and I really am happy with what I got coming out. And I hope you understand that. I do every year where it's mad hours all in a week and I just didn't have time to get it out sooner than that. One of the things I talked about at the beginning of this show specifically was MH Chaos and the beginning of some new shows. I'm not talking about podcast people. I'm talking about absolutely real fucking hardcore shows coming very soon. 100% have shows booked at Club Reverb in Reading, Pennsylvania. We'll be announcing one later this week, or actually be early next week, and more coming. They will be in the back area, like the back show stage. For those of you who went to Tsunami with Bad Luck and Sworn Enemy and Lifeless, that, John, we are going to have it popping with fucking shows. Got a couple in the frying pan. My baby boy, Bob Wilson, has something going on at the legendary Sellersville VFW where some wild shit happened in the woods before any of you motherfuckers knew about hardcore. I'm working on This Is Hardcore. The good news is we're doing one. The bad news is this year won't be at the Franklin Music Hall, a.k.a. Electric Factory. A lot of things are up and down, left and right, B-A-B start, whatever. But hoping to pull something off so we can all get together again and go back to more of our normalcy. For those of you who are wondering where I sit on vaccination, I walked in to a CVS with an online appointment and I got the J&J, John. It is what the fuck it is. I'm moving forward. Make your own decisions. It's free of charge. I think you can sign up at Right Age. You can sign up at CVS. If that's your thing and you just didn't want to have to sit outside and deal with the, all the big crowds, you can get vaccinated. Or you can knock it. I don't care. I'm vaccinated. 
is what it is. Support This Is Hardcore podcast by going to tihcpodcast.com. There are show notes, extra links every week. It's not just this gimmick on here where you're listening. We got some information on there and ways you can contact our guests. So go there and check it out. Also, patreon.com slash this is hardcore. More shit coming out. More guests coming out. Rule of three. Episode three will be on its own platform. We will have links so you can sign up and stay in touch with us all there. And can't wait for you to hear our guest next week. Probably the smartest and most well-informed and researched motherfucker in the state of hardcore I've ever had on the show, Mike Gitter. Yeah, you don't know his name, most of you motherfuckers, but you will. I had a great conversation with him, and I cannot wait for you to hear this shit. So thank you for the support. I'm out.